Leading Britain's conversation. You're listening to a podcast of The Steve Allen Show from LBC. Hello, nice to have you company. Welcome to Friday. Everybody's going to Scotland today. Everybody's going to Scotland. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Everyone, and I was just thinking, how exciting. You know, we just take it for granted that you sort of, you go to the airport, you get on a plane, you fly off, and an hour later you land somewhere completely different with snow and you've got your Wellingtons and the Huskies are out and all the rest of it. They did a great programme on one of the little Scottish islands. It was one of these archaeological programmes. Nobody's lived on it for donkey's years, and it was on the telly in the early hours of this morning. But the nice thing, that the only thing that lives on this island now, apart from tourists who wander over there uh, on the little boat, is a herd of cattle. And this herd of cattle um, have looked after themselves for the past 40 years. There's nobody there to feed them. They just eat the grass. They survive just about during the, uh, the cold winters. And, uh, and, the rest, and they're now very wary of men or man, or woman, but it was a really interesting experiment. And they found all these barrows and tunnels, and apparently the early people who lived there thousands of years ago used to have saunas, because I just imagine it would be, it would be pretty, pretty chilly, pretty chilly up there. Uh, the, uh, the woolly mammoth could return soon, hence the story wool meet again, uh, because they've got the DNA from woolly mammoths, and they reckon that if they inject it, and it would, it would take about two years to, to wander through, um, that would be a case of uh, something that you could bring back to life that hadn't been around for a long, long time. Uh, there's also the story today of the serial thief who's dodged jail by saying it would harm his chances of getting on the Jeremy Kyle show. And you think, oh, my goodness me. Uh, Danny Dyer has been forced out of Albert Square. Um, he's, as I say, as exhausted as a newt. He does have a history. Of, uh, of enjoying a few sort of bevies. And I suppose if you're not working every single day, the uh, the thing is you go out and you have a few drinks and then you become exhausted, then you can't do your job properly. So they've said, listen, take some weeks off, have a little bit of a rest, and then come back, you know, after you've sorted your life out. So they're making the effort. You know, if, if somebody does have a problem with drink, and the, I mean, the, the company now have to be seen to be doing something to help you. And to actually make sure that you're sort of the person who they want to work with, but they just want to make sure you can clean your act up a little bit. If, of course, you know, it turns out that he can't clean his act up, well, then he'll be away from EastEnders for a fairly long time. However, of course, as you can imagine, it's thrown them into confusion because they're filming six weeks backwards, five to six weeks backwards. So any storyline they might have to sort of rewrite in and they'll have to sort of cover themselves, which I'm sure they will do. I'm sure they will do. Uh, we found the former Rotary Club president. His neighbour's got a very nice old Bentley, 30,000 quid's worth of old Bentley. And this, uh, this former Rotary Club president uh, was caught scratching a letter V in it. Uh, we'll name and shame on the programme this morning, a particularly vile piece of work. As I've said before, people who live in little villages... Um, are generally the worst ones. You remember we had cases of cats being poisoned, notes being stuck on people's doors about who was doing what with whom. Turned out to be some old boy who worked at the church. The woman who sent all of the abusive notes to the McCanns was a regular churchgoer. The woman who put the cat in the bin who worked for the Royal Bank of Scotland was a regular churchgoer. Obviously you need to examine quite a bit more carefully exactly what's going on in church at the moment, especially in the light of the bishop the other day. I pushed the wrong button. I bet you did. I bet you did. And you can make jokes up about pushing the wrong button and things like that. Um, and it's so it's a case of the, the church are saying it's OK. 
Uh, but some people within the church are saying, no, it's not. They can't make up their minds. I mean, seriously, why can't people just mind their own blooming business? It really is. It's got nothing to do with anybody. It really hasn't. I mean, who cares whether you're vicar's gay, straight, intersex... Uh, what was the other one? Gay, straight, bisexual, transgender and intersex. And somebody said to me, you've got it wrong, Steve. What they meant was they're intersex, you know. And I went, oh, right. Because I didn't understand. I'd never heard of it before. And it's somebody who's got genitalia that doesn't match what they are. So work work on that what you will, because, frankly, I get more confused by the day. Uh, David Beckham's not pieced off. He's out on the snow. And uh, Brooklyn's already had a little accident. Bless his heart. And the whole family were out there for a photo opportunity. Sorry, for uh, for a little holiday. Because they don't really seem to do anything, do they, the Beckhams? She just goes in and out of airports. And he sort of has pictures taken with a boy. She doesn't look like she's skied in her life. But I'm sure I've seen a picture somewhere of her wearing a, um, a ski suit and sort of hanging on to a pair of uh, skis. And um, And the fake news on the BBC... It must be fake news on the BBC. I mean, I, I don't want to sort of call the BBC to task over this one, but uh, Nick Robinson, who apparently is one of their presenters, I mean, as you can well imagine, I have no idea. I pay for this rubbish, but I've got no idea what they do. He goes on air and suggests that Father Christmas does not exist. Put your fingers in your ears. And, uh, and then suddenly realises, don't ask me why, it says in the uh, paper report, the error of his ways, and then says Father Christmas does exist. Well, that's fake news. I mean, I don't want to ruin things for everybody, but come on, we're all adults, aren't we? Hello? Unless there's young people listening, in which case, yes, he exists and all that kind of stuff. But it's, uh, it's interesting. Somebody dared to suggest... I was talking to one of our fellow presenters, and he said years ago he dared to suggest that the Easter Bunny didn't exist. He said, and for two weeks, people were berating him online. Who are these people? Who are these people? You know, when we went to see Father Christmas at the North Pole... With um, with a company years and years ago, which we loved, incidentally. It's not cheap. It's about 1,600 quid each. It was lovely. It was really well worth it. Freezing cold. I mean, like cold, 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 cold. And because they take their elves out there from this company, uh, I think Father Christmas is, is local, as they say. And, um, and they had the elves. And then my youngest, uh, sorry, my middle godchild, Charlotte, she, uh, when we got back to, to um, Stansted Airport, saw one of the elves retrieving their luggage from the carousel. She said, Uncle Steve, that's one of the elves. I said, is it? Trying to play dumb, you know, which didn't take too much acting. Um, uh, Diane Abbott swears an oath of allegiance to the Queen, uh, which is good news. And uh, the Marilyn pregnancy stories go on and on, like she's dead. You know, let's leave it, shall we? Let's just sort of... You don't believe anybody who comes up with Marilyn stories now. They're just... Uh, just just go away. Uh, also, the touching story of an actor who cared for his neighbour aged 89. I mean, nobody's heard of him before. Now everybody's going to be hearing about him because he, he looked after her. Uh, she was 89. She was getting worse and worse. She couldn't breathe. She couldn't do anything by herself. But he looked after her till the end. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? I think that's, that's a, one of my touching stories of the day. I like stuff like that, that somebody will do that for somebody so that nobody should ever have to, um, uh, to to sort of die by themselves. And so at the age of eight, he was, he was with her all the way through, which is good. Uh, 84850, uh, John says, you mentioned the cattle on the Scottish island. I've also heard of cattle. You on drugs or something? I have to ask, actually, because Hendon and drugs kind of go hand in hand. So come on. And, um, and the other... I'm still waiting to see what that poor person thought when he was asking how much people earn. Why that would ever be of any interest to people, I can't imagine. It's it's whatever you can get out. 
of a company. It's whatever your agent can negotiate. It's whatever the uh, the company offer you. If they think you're worth an awful lot of money, they'll pay you a lot of money. You know, do you think it's Philip? Philip? Yes, Philip Schofield, the same thing. You know, how much do you earn? Why are people so interested? They must be really, really jealous. And that bloke who texted in asking about, you know... So, although although uh, Darren was just as intrigued as everybody else, weren't you? I mean, I'm intrigued too. I think I might up the other one that we were talking about. Uh, not too much, though. Certainly nowhere near that. No, no, no. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No, no. No, because I'd seen the invoice. I saw the invoice because it came in on one of the uh, on one of the printers. Don't, that's the only reason we knew. And the other person I mentioned, also the invoice came in on the uh, on the, um, the the printer. That was the only reason. I of course do mine in Braille. Make sure that nobody see. Isn't it funny how sort of you know there is no set money for radio presenters. They don't say we're looking for a presenter for this program and it pays this much money. You'll never see that anywhere at all. It must be one of the only jobs one of the very few jobs where there is no set rate of pay. You know, there might be people on LBC earning more than me. I should imagine there's probably one or two or three or four. But it, I couldn't care less. I always maintain I can run a Bentley uh, quite well, thank you very much indeed, and eat fillet steak and pay a small mortgage and stuff like that. So always grateful, always grateful. But why anybody be worried about it? I can't imagine. It is, it's a jealousy thing, isn't it? Because I'm sure it, it's, years ago, I'm sure you could have gone to your boss and gone, either I'm going to get X thousand pounds for doing a programme or I'm going to leave. And they go, in fact, I did know a presenter here who did that. Years and years ago, they, um, how can I do this without telling you? Anyway, they, they relaunched LBC and it was a different name and all the rest of it. And they'd got a presenter in who'd been with LBC for a little while. And uh, it was all due to launch and they got new jingles and everything else. And he went to them, I think, two days before it launched. And he said, I want more money. And they said, there isn't any more money. He said, well, either I get more money or I'm going to leave. They went, oh, this was, you know, they'd done all the advertising and everything else. Your worst nightmare. And they said, the only way that you can get more money is by driving your own programme and losing the engineer who drives the programme. So he said, all right, I'll do that. So they got rid of the engineer. No, no, it was... Um... <laughs> I'll tell you in a minute, actually. But uh, we've all, we all know about that one. Yes, very much so. But, uh, and so two days before, they got rid of his engineer who drove the programme, and this particular presenter drove his own programme so he could get part of the engineer's money. So I've never learned to drive a programme because basically it's just I, I have dyslexic fingers. They are not capable of driving it. I wouldn't know what to do. I know some people can drive. I know Clive Bull can drive a, a desk. Nick Abbott can drive a desk. You could drive a desk. Can you drive? Oh, Darren can drive a desk as well. See, I can't. I've never learned and I don't want to. I really don't want to because I think I'd make dreadful mistakes all over the place. And so that that just wouldn't happen at all. Who else drives a desk around here? Who, um, um... There's not many, is there, really? There's not many people. Is it just those three? Nick Ferrari, I don't, Nick's the same as me. I don't think Nick could drive a desk. Uh, definitely Mr O'Brien couldn't drive a desk. His musical hour yesterday was so funny. Did you hear? Songs from the shows. I loved it, honestly. I was sitting in the car, singing along, yeah, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we'll take a break, and I'll tell you who this person is. Uh, who was deeply unpleasant, but that's another story. Anyway. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. 18 minutes past four. It's nice to have a company on Friday, isn't it? Nice to have anybody's company on Friday, to be honest with you. It's very exciting. My friend Dan has found me some windmills. Yeah, pound each. And he told the woman in the shop, I think they were in Weymouth or something, it's for a radio presenter in London. She thought that was quite funny. 
I wasn't sure whether she thought a radio presenter in London was funny or whether she thought a radio presenter in London buying windmills was funny. It's, yeah, exactly. It's because of how much you earn that you can afford to buy paper windmills. But they're not paper. They're, they're metallic windmills. It's kept the crows off, though. I tell you, it's working so far with the little tiny ones. So and it's hopefully, you know, something a little bit bigger might actually impress. Uh, so what have we got? Uh, we had the other day. It's all very dreary. There's this programme on the television. The budget must be, as you know, the BBC love wasting money. And uh, on Victoria Derbyshire's show, watched by I don't know how many people, but uh, they must be sending cabs left, right and centre. The budget must be huge. But then we know for Top Gear, it was about £750,000 a programme. It's the biggest waste of money, you know, contrary to all the cobblers that the uh, the BBC spin you about. We're saving money. I don't know how they think they're actually, um, you know, saving money when they're spending money like that. But anyway, she sort of announced the other day, or the person standing in for her, that uh, among the guests on there, because they have a debate with a studio audience, which presumably get taxes in. How else? They don't exactly say, uh, just walk. I don't even know where it comes from. Where does it come from? Somewhere very pokey. And um, it's sort of typical, usual BBC claptrap, isn't it? Let's have a morning programme. You know, we've had all these other things and now we'll put this thing on. And uh, and they went, and today we're going to be finding out how the lottery ruined the life. And thought, Not her again. Good God, she was only on Loose Women two days prior. I think we've had... Broadcasting House, is it? No cabs for the audience there. You get the bus, darling. It drops you outside. Oh, thank you. And, uh, yeah, so, so they put on that silly old woman again, the one who won the lottery, and then complained about it. And then they said, well, give it away. I didn't see the interview on the Victoria Derbyshire show. I just decided I could save that one. But Loose Women with Kay Adams, the woman with no personality at all. I mean, it is like trying to drag blood out of a stone. Even, I mean, the other day it was a toss-up between who was more boring, Janet Street Porter... Or or uh, or Kay Adams, who always used to make me laugh when somebody pointed out to me that she did look a little bit like a dominatrix. And you could see her in thigh-length boots holding a whip. And I said, well, I've never actually thought about that before. It was a very odd image to conjure up in your mind. But uh, there's no warmth there. There's no... It's, you get the feeling she's doing it because it's the only gig available and there's nothing. And she's obviously far better dealing with sort of more serious subjects as opposed to some of the uh, the garbage that they dredge. They must have the worst researchers and things like that on that programme to sort of come up with rubbish. So they put on the um, the lottery winner, the girl who, you know, complained about how it ruined her life. Jane Park, more boring person you'd be hard pushed to find. And then lo and behold, who have they got on there today? Come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Who do you, do you reckon? Yep, believe it or not, Bianca Gascoigne. Yeah, Bianca's going to be on there telling you all about her relationship with Jamie O'Hara. I'd be far more entertained, you know, if the panel on there, and we don't know who's going to be on, it'll be the same old drearies, you know, asked her, what's it like working in a strip bar, dear, when you're not, actually not attractive enough to be a stripper? You know, what's she going to do now? She's been dumped by two boyfriends. One, because she cheated on him, and he was a cage fighter or something. And then the one inside there who suddenly realised that he didn't want anything to do with her because she's an attention seeker. And this programme absolutely proves it. So you're going to watch some pussyfooting interview around Bianca Gascoigne where they'll all pat her on the back and tell her what a marvellous person she is, as opposed to the person who hung on to the Gascoigne name because the other name she had before wasn't worth diddly squat. Dreadful. Uh, Mark says, whatever happened to... Uh, I don't know, he got fired from another radio station, that person. Um, ages ago. Ages and ages ago. I, I can't remember, actually. Um, I can't remember. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't remember um, what happened to them after that. And Georgia says, I'm still tormented by Father Christmas. He, he kissed my mummy. I know. It's, it's all, I saw mummy kissing Santa Claus. 
underneath the mistletoe. And so it goes on. I quite like that song, actually. I think it was Darlene Love or something like that. How I know these things, do not ask me. It just regurgitates itself, as do most things on this uh, programme. The business rates rise illegal. That's what they're saying. It's going to kill the high street. Kill the high street. I mean, absolutely kill the high street. Uh, also, Monopoly. I love a good game of Monopoly. We sometimes played the short... I've not played it for years, but we, we played the shorter version of Monopoly, where you actually started off with houses or hotels and everything else. So you had... I didn't, oh, Because I used to go for either the blue ones on the first run at the bottom, Angel Islington and those. Uh, White, White Chapel was 450 for for hotels, which wasn't very exciting. Mayfair, nobody ever landed on, and Park Lane. Or you got the green ones around the corner. I did like it. I mean, I I did enjoy it. It's it's such a clever game, isn't it? Such a clever game. When the producer went on holiday to the Brecon Beacons, the place we were staying in had a Monopoly set in the cupboard. The Coventry edition. Are there different editions then around the... Are there really? Oh, my God. I noticed there was one sold years ago by the Franklin Mint, which had gold pieces and came in a a chest. and It it looked quite, quite posh, actually. Quite posh. I quite fancied that idea. Quite fancy, but I. But we did play the shortened version, whereas you sort of threw, threw the dice and you could pick, you know, a set. And so, you know, you'd always pick something you hope people would land on. It's always, it was always the same money. Anyway, the reason I mentioned Monopoly, sorry, uh, is that they've just ditched the thimble. Got no idea why. So we've still got the dog, the top hat, the car, the iron, the battleship, but we've ditched the thimble. How many were there? Were there six? Wait a minute. Think, think carefully, Stephen. So, dog, iron, top hat, battleship. Um, oh, wait a minute. Oh, you see, look at the ones that they've actually got rid of. That was one of the original pieces from 1935. The iron has gone as well. So you've now got the shoe, the battleship, the cannon. I don't remember a cannon. The race car, the purse. Really? So what? So what? So now you've got the original six with a top hat. The thimble, the iron, which is now gone, the shoe, the battleship, uh, the cannon, I don't remember at all, the car, the race car, the purse, which looked like a handbag, the rocking horse, which is gone, the lantern, which is gone, oh, the dog, the Scotty dog, uh, the wheelbarrow, don't remember, horse and rider has gone, the sack of money, still there, the pussycat, wow, I don't don't remember half of those things. And you can buy a different Monopoly set. The ones also that have been, been rejected. Uh, there's a robot, bottle of perfume, guitar and a helicopter. Good Lord, it's amazing, isn't it, really? How they, they, they were rejected. Although I quite fancy the guitar. I used to pick the top hat. I don't know why everyone used to pick different things, didn't they? But there isn't a Twickenham edition. Is there a London edition, then? Well, well that is Monopoly, isn't it? That's the original Monopoly. 1930s. Isn't it funny how the, you know, you, families used to play games... You know, we didn't turn on the telly. Now you turn on the telly. Click, on goes the telly. You don't move until it goes bong, bong. And you could still buy it. Monopoly Blackpool. That'll be sort of lots of falling down hotels. You won't actually buy a whole hotel. It'll be sort of a wreck of a hotel. And uh, so the box contains... It's a new edition, incidentally. You get 32 houses, 12 hotels, 12 12 chavvy places, an amusement arcade... Uh, you get a money box, 12 chance cards, 16 community chest, instructions. Does anybody seriously need instructions how to play Monopoly? You do if you come from Blackpool. <laughs> what, what is it, mate? It's, it's Monopoly. Yeah, what's that? It's houses. Oh, like estate agents. 
Yeah, sort of like that, dear. Yeah, sort of like that. Apparently, the Blackpool version, somebody's written here, uh, was good fun because we live in the area. It is quite expensive for what it is. You are paying for the concept, not the physical item. That's a big word, isn't it, for somebody from Blackpool? And somebody here says, great item with lots of fun for the family. I would recommend it for the family. A great buy. It is lovely. And, uh, and somebody else says, for Emily and her girls, it was great. They played over the weekend and different as her local town. Oh, lovely. That's what they like, actually, out there. They're really good. And somebody says, when we're away for a week with our friend in a caravan, it's so we can entertain ourselves on our evening, as we are not ones for going out on a night with being retired. But I'm sure we'll all enjoy playing it, as I wanted something different to the old London Monopoly game, which I've still got, by the way. All one sentence, which is lovely, isn't it? So, so they, they, they go away for a week with their friend in a caravan, but they don't go out because they're retired. How do they move the caravan? How do they move the caravan? They did one of those police action programmes the other night. Somebody was stealing a caravan. And I was thinking to myself, what sort of person would nick a caravan? Anyway, he, uh, he eventually had his, uh, his tyres brought down by a stinger. And uh, he's in prison now. How much is Monopoly Blackpool? OK, it's, it's £44.59, but if you nick it, it's cheaper, all right? <laughs> 44 That seems a lot, doesn't it? Lancashire edition is £75.20. Wow. Do you think people collect monopolies? This has opened up a this has opened up a, a wonderful How much is the ordinary monopoly? Ordinary monopoly. A man, the Manchester one's twenty one pounds. Why would Lancashire be seventy five pound twenty? So just just monopoly. Here it is. So Metallica oh my god, Metallica band monopoly. Monopoly board game. Here you go. Fourteen pound. Fourteen quid, that's all you have to pay for it. Seventy five pound if you want the other one. <laughs> Why would you bother? you bother i do like it though who invented monopoly do we know is it was it invented by by somebody very interesting you know somebody who sort of uh you know invented it back in the days when promote the economic theories of henry george and his ideas about taxation Mm. the current version was first published by parker brothers in 1935 subtitled the fast dealing property trading game oh interesting interesting and uh, players move around the game board buying, trading or selling properties, developing their properties with houses and hotels and collecting rent from their opponents, with the goal being to drive them all into bankruptcy <laughs> or failing that buy a place in Blackpool. And uh, the government will do it for you up there, which is great. Skill, negotiation. And all you have to do is be able to roll a dice or a die. It's not difficult, is it? You just do it. And, the, and endless fun. Endless fun for the whole family. I think everybody should get a cup for 14 quid. Endless arguments. Endless arguments. And also, you know, I mean, when you're sort of little, it was not uncommon for somebody to pick the board up and throw it. You go, oh, here we go. We've got to start all over again, assembling the little houses, which were always green and the hotels were always red. It was lovely. Mark says, with the Blackpool edition Monopoly, community chest was Sandra at number 22. (laughs) The old one. I've got the Wigan edition, says Jimmy. The Wigan edition. There isn't a Wigan edition. Is there? There's a Wigan edition. Oh, blimey, I tell you, it's all changed, hasn't it? Wait a minute. Uh, I'm going to find it. If I, if I don't find it, Wigan Monopoly. 69 quid. Wow. For Wigan. You can buy Wigan for 69 quid. God, that's a lot, isn't it? That is a lot. How lovely. And uh, it says here, I bought this as a present for a friend who comes from Wigan. She was delighted 
She hasn't been back home for a while with being very ill. This way she can see the difference. D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-T-S. So thank you. It's a board game, dear. It's a board game. Be better off buying her a photograph book. And one here from Bev who says, My husband loved it. Excellent condition. Packed really well. You have to take it out of the box to play it, dear. And that's it. It's only had two reviews. Bit of a shame, isn't it? One from Mrs. What's-Her-Face on the 4th of June 2009 and the other one that came in in 2015. Obviously, Wigan not really impressed by that. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Do you think there's a Diane Abbott version of Monopoly? <laughs> only ask, because somebody pointed out there's a Jeremy Corbyn version. You can't buy any property. The council's got it all. So uh, that, And also, we wouldn't want to be uh, seen to be sort of selling property off. I quite liked Monopoly, though, as a game. We, 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 had, we used to have a cupboard full, like most kids of a certain age, you would have a cupboard full of games because it was educational. You would, uh, you know, stimulate your mind. Sitting watching television was a bit, a bit boring. And so, consequently, you had to sort of do something. I used to like Mousetrap, but nobody in my family wanted to play Mousetrap. I was just amazed that if you got into the thing, the little cage came down, like that. And uh, people get, no, it's boring to set up. I go, OK. And then we had Operation. Operation was very good. I mean, I couldn't do that now. The thing of it, beep, beep. Seriously, I couldn't even get the little thing out. And uh, that was quite good. And then we used to have, what else we have? Kaplunk was very good. And Pickup Sticks. Remember Pickup Sticks? I mean, it was such a cheap game. In fact, the cheaper they were, the easier they were to play and the more fun. Connect 4, was it? We, we weren't rich enough for Connect 4. We just had Connect 2. And we didn't have Connect 4 at all. What else do we have? Snakes and Ladders was very popular. That was an easy one. Battleship I liked, but I always wanted the electronic battleship, but we didn't have any money uh, for, for that at all, so I didn't have that one. And in fact, you ended up doing your own on Battleship. G4? Nothing. Nothing at all. B, B2? Nothing. OK, C1. Oh, you just blown my battleship out of the water. You'd have four battleships, two destroyers and a submarine, which was all good. It was so simple. You could do it yourself. You could do it yourself. It was, you know, games are good now. Just even a pack of cards in a family. You can actually play with a pack of cards for ages. We used to play, uh, there was, oh, what was it called? Oh, we used to play Rummy, Pontoon. Um, what was the Rummy? There was another game as well. And um, uh, there was a racing game you used to play with cards. I can't remember what that one was. Not called Aintree or something. Whatever it was, there were lots of different games you could play. Uh, you said what? Top Trumps. What was that? I don't remember Top Trumps at all. Just cards with numbers on. Oh, right, the biggest number win. We used to do... Um, oh, you just reminded me of something else then, actually. What was the game where you had your cards and you were trying to make either a run or, you know, four queens or two... Is that po That's not poker, is it? Well, we, we didn't have it as poker. There was Rummy and there was another game that we played. And it sounded a bit like... Well, it didn't sound like Rummy, but you'd have 13 cards and then you'd reject one and then you take the next one but it was sight unseen and the whole idea was you were trying to actually come up with either a, a straight flush uh, or four queens or three aces or something like that I can't remember what it was called anyway it was, it was, it was all bad because it was gambling and, uh, but we used, to, we used to play for buttons my mother had a button tin and uh, which was an old cigarette tin of players, I think, from years ago. And and we would play with buttons. And it was great. Newmarket was the card game. Thank you, Newmarket. I can't remember how you played it though. I just remember Newmarket, and we used to play all the. How many card games can you tell me of, ladies and gentlemen? Because it, it, they they might jog my memory. 
And I might be actually much better. The person who invented Monopoly came from Blackpool, Steve. Thank you. And uh, somebody says, I have my mother's pre-war edition Monopoly. The houses and hotels are made of wood. I've often thought I'd like to come to London and go round the board in real life. Well, you can. You can go round. Uh, Newmarket is for three to eight players, two decks, and it's perfect for anybody. What you do is you take the Jack of Spades, Queen of Diamonds, King of Clubs, Ace of Hearts out of one deck, place them in the middle of the table. They're known as boodle cards. Oh, God, it sounds far too complicated. I don't remember it being that complicated. Boodle cards. Apparently, you can buy Wigan for a tenner. It's gone a bit downhill, says Jimmy. I know, it probably has, actually. And the Simpsons Monopoly set in a charity shop last year. A friend begged me to pick it up. I did. Forgot about it. I think it's either on top of the wardrobe or under the bed. There you go. And uh, London Cabby Monopoly has golf courses in Portugal. <laughs> Chateaus in France and villas in Spain. You can choose from a London cab and nothing else. <laughs> so cruel you are this morning. But it's Friday. We like the idea that, uh, that people can be cruel this morning. So, uh, all right. OK. It's nice. Off to the Trossics. Paul Smith's off to the... Everybody's going to Scotland. It's obviously the place to go to, isn't it? I was hoping that Darren... Because I think Darren's getting an early flight. Oh, he's going later, is he, today? Ah, right. It's only an hour, though, isn't it? It's very very quick on the plane. It's, it, it takes you longer to actually get to the airport and check in now than it does for the, uh, for the flight. You're on the same flight? Oh, my goodness me. Oh, that's lucky. And so you can you better have that sort of... They give you a meal, or is, it, is the flight too... They used to say the flight was too short to actually have a meal. Free drink and some snacks. Is that just generally nuts in a bag or something like that, or pretzels or something? See, I could actually do with a meal. Well, I mean, you'd think the stewardesses could maybe carve a kebab for you or something like that. They could have it turning round in the galley kitchen. I see no reason. They do Prosecco, do they? My God, I tell you. I've not flown up to... I used to fly to Scotland all the time, at least once a month. I would fly up there. I used to love it, actually. But the best thing was in winter, when you fly back into London and it's snowing and everything looks so beautiful. It really does. Little Funny thing, they don't look like orange lights to me, but when you're up there in the sky, all the lights look like orange, don't they? They're all over the place. It's like flying into Vegas. It's very pretty, but huge. Absolutely vast. But they never give you a meal because the flight's too short. By the time the stewardess has put her makeup on, it's time to sort of put the landing wheels down and everything else. Mark, have you flown with BA before? Eh? Well, there you go. <laughs> it must be quite good fun, actually, because you don't have to put up with passengers for, like, one of those very long flights. It's just a quick thing. So if, 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 if you don't like any of the passengers, you don't have to put up with them. But if you fancy a couple of them, you're, you're completely up a gum tree, aren't you? Because they're going to be vanishing in an hour. Thank you. And they always have to say the end, don't they? They have to change in their sort of getting-off-the-plane outfit where they all stand there by the door. Thank you for flying British Airways. Thank you for flying British Airways. Have a nice day. Thank you for flying British Airways. They might as well just have a little tape machine. Are they on strike? Oh, dear. That's always more, more interesting, though, isn't it? Because basically you could fly the plane yourself and have a more entertaining time, you know. So how do we fly it? Let's push the button that goes automatic. Automatic. And then, whoo, my God, we're moving backwards. Fantastic. I love it. Oh, I love things like that. Uh, I've heard of a card game called Humanity. Sounds very funny, Steve. I've ordered it on Amazon. Cards Against Humanity. It's, oh, is it rude? We don't do rude on this programme. That's absolutely outrageous. Cards Against Humanity. No, don't, don't go. Is it very rude? Very, very rude. We're not, we're not checking it out at all. Oh, you're back. Um, somebody, somebody says, no, I've been listening to LBC since 1973. But what year was it when it went off air for a few years? It's never gone off air. It's never gone off air. 
never, ever, 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 ever gone off air. So there you go. <laughs> For a couple of years? No, never. Never, 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 never. I know, because I've been here, and unless I was broadcasting for somebody else. Nick will be talking about those BA strikes at eight this morning, because it's going to affect you. It's going to affect a lot of people, and you're going to be sort of thinking to yourself, thank God we tuned into LBC. And uh, Nick will also be talking to Nigel Farage today. Oh, that's going to get the phone lines going again, isn't it, really? So Nick will definitely be talking about uh, British Airways and how it's going to affect you. Why do people... Have you noticed that Southern have just rejected the latest offer? Is this the 20th strike or something on Southern? I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous. If you lived on that route, you'd be just ripping your hair out, wouldn't you, really? Uh, I was always good at winning the Trivial Pursuit uh, game. A fountain of useless knowledge. Uh, Escalado, says Daniel, that was the um, horse racing game where you turned the handle and they bounced along the felt. Although, actually, I do remember the early editions of that uh, racing game, the horses were made of lead and soldiers. I used to have lead soldiers, which was terrible. Uh, another one here says, I believe Kerry Coatoner is in Australia singing with Atomic Kitten. Well, she's out with them. Whether she's singing or not remains to be seen. Um, and to be honest with you, I mean, the Australians are welcome to her. As long as she stays out of this country, I couldn't really care less. What if she'll pay her tax this year? She must have been earning money, so, I mean, she must be uh, she must be getting round to thinking about things like that, mustn't she? I do hope so. But uh, seeing as it's Friday and seeing as it's the 17th of February, um, are you as... Uh, I, was, I turned on the telly this morning, and they were doing 8 out of 10 cats, and one of the guests was Terry Wogan. And I thought... Do they have to get permission from the family to show that? Or do they just show it? Because, I mean, I you know appreciate the fact that I've seen programmes with comedians on uh, who are not with us anymore. But it was, it was more obvious when you saw Terry Wogan on there. And I was thinking to myself, would that not be offensive? And I thought, probably not. But I, I, I sort of wrestled with it. I sort of wrestled with it a little bit in my mind. I need some other card games. Somebody says a card game played in Australia was cribbage. Yes, I've heard of cribbage. It was this pontoon... Uh, which was 21s, rummy, then there was gin rummy, I think that's the one you drank with a bottle of gin and then you played the game and tried to remember. That was always my favourite game. You know the one where you just two of you and you sit down opposite each other with a bottle of whiskey and you proceed to drink the bottle of whiskey and then somebody goes outside the room, knocks on the door and the one in the room has to guess who it is. It's a really good game. So card games, rummy, patience, poker, gin rummy, blackjack, crazy eights. No. Oh, canasta. My God, my parents used to have... Cheat. Do you remember cheat? Do you remember playing cheat? You deal out all the all the cards. The idea is to get rid of all your cards. So you deal out the pack. So if there's only two of us playing, you deal out the pack, uh, face down, all the rest of it. And then you go three sevens and you put them down face down on the table. And the person goes, cheat. And then you turn them over. Because the idea is that by the time you get to the end of the game, if you say three sevens or whatever it happens to be, and you've got that, you win. What you want to do is is make the, is, is find out if the other person's cheating. So I, I enjoyed cheat quite a lot. Actually, I thought that was very, very good. I uh, haven't seen it at Cribbage. Yes, Cribbage involved a board, didn't it, with sort of putting things in. But uh, you can you can have so much fun for so little money. I never understand it. I was talking to some uh, some children the other day who came in uh, Paul's shop, and um, and I said, "Oh, you're on on um, holiday. You're on a half term at the moment." They, I said, "When when do you go back?" And they went um, Monday. They go back on Monday. So they've been on holiday this week. They only got a week off. 
but it's but it, it, it's quite nice for little kids. They were all going to get their nails done. They're only little girls, you know, sort of eight to ten or, some, or something like that. And I think that's actually quite nice, you know, when they sort of go away. Sometimes people take kids away for the half term. Sometimes they don't. The, uh, the Beckhams are off skiing. That's rivetingly exciting. I can uh, think, Steve, of two games from my youth. I'm, I'm oh, sorry, I've just realised we're going down a horrible route here. I'm going down, sorry, I'm going down the route of somebody who, who needs to attract a huge audience by talking about games from your youth. So I, I don't want to go there. OK, so it's very nice indeed. You do get compendiums. You remember compendiums of games? You used to get them at Christmas. They're sort of, it was sort of, you know, you get this and that and all the rest of it. And we do remember... So uh, I'm not I'm not interested now. Chase the Ace, thank you, Scott the Cabbie, and uh, Sevens was very good, and uh, Magic Robot. The last one's what? The one at the bottom is worth reading. Okay, wait a minute. Let me just go down to the bottom, which says, um, "Have you tried the 2016 version of Monopoly? You start off with everybody sharing out the property and money, although not equally. So half the players are unhappy, and the others are sad, and then you." kick the board in the air and the houses are all over the place and then the money is lost so the happy players are then sad and the sad players are happy. It's called Brexit. Oh, how topical are we? How topical are we? Thank you very much. I do remember Magic Robot. You didn't spin it round. You didn't need to spin it round. It was uh, it was a magic robot. He spun round by himself. What you did, you put him in the thing, you pointed him to the question, then you put him on the glass and he spun round. OK, simple as that. Not a complicated thing. Everybody had Magic Robot. You can still... In fact, you can still buy it. I think you can still buy Magic Robot. Look at the time. And an email. How about what? Snap. How, what was, was that where you matched up? Snap was where you matched up. Please don't send in any more recommendations of card games. I suddenly realised I was going down the wrong road there. I'm not reading any more out, OK? So we, we finished it with, with the Brexit gag. And that's as good as it's going to get this morning. Because it's Friday! And I love Friday and I love everything to do with Friday. I've got an interview this morning with the man who really introduced farce, as far as I'm concerned, to uh, to theatres. And we're going to be talking to him because he's 84. He's Ray Cooney. You'll remember you'd have seen him because he featured in so many of his uh, stage plays. And it was always a case of, you know, lots of doors opening. A vicar would come in, his trousers would drop down. Then a girl with big boobs would emerge from one door. It was all, you know, whoops, there goes my trousers again. It was lampooned by everybody, but uh, made him very, very successful. He's going to be coming in to record an in-conversation for today. Apparently on BA short-haul flights... You now have to buy the drinks and the snacks. The food is all M&S. Oh, and you can only pay by credit or debit card. No cash. It's the mixed fleet crew that's on strike. The mainline crews are OK. That's what they call it. Mixed fleet crew. Never even heard it. So you have to buy your things. I mean, can you take something on? Are you allowed to take something on? So could you go to... Well, you won't be allowed to take anything on. Otherwise, I'd be taking, like, you know, a little camping gas thing and sort of cooking up a storm. I want to do that on a train one time. I've often thought about doing it as a gag. You, you sort of push your way onto a really crowded train in the morning and you set up a little kitchen with two, two Bunsen burners and a frying pan and proceed to cook egg, sausage and bacon and plug a toaster into where people plug the thing. People, that'd be so funny, wouldn't it? What are you doing? I'm doing egg, bacon and sausage. What for? Breakfast. Breakfast. You know. Apparently... Uh, did not LBC split into two at one point? And uh, so one bit of the service moved to a different wavelength. Yes, we had, uh, well, it was the same as we've got now. We have two two radio stations now. It was always the same. It was always the same. And so if you didn't know what was happening, you lost LBC. No, you didn't. You didn't lose it at all. It was it was quite clearly uh, 
quite clearly laid out exactly what it was, unless really you'd lost your marbles completely. It was all very straightforward. I, I for a time, worked on London Talkback Radio, which uh, had a little jingle that went along with it, which I don't propose to sing to you now because uh, basically I can't, uh, I can't sing at all. Uh, Steve, you can take food and drink on. I don't think you can. I don't think you can take drink on. You're not allowed to take dr- any drinks on flights, are you? If you bought it after you've been through the gates, you could probably do it, yeah. You couldn't buy it beforehand. They'd be going, Susie, what's that? And you go, um, milkshake? You know, exactly. So uh, we have to be very careful. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. <laughs> Morning, everybody. Uh, apparently there's a Pokemon edition of Monopoly, says David. A Pokemon Don't tell Darren, for God's sake. He'll be out there straight away. Uh, there's a Milton Keynes Monopoly, says Joe. Can you believe that? Uh, I, I probably could, actually. Wait a minute. Yeah, Pokemon Monopoly, £89.99. This is obviously bigger than I thought, actually. It's obviously much, much bigger than I thought. It's unbelievable. I'm learning everything this morning. I mean, how many different Monopoly games are all Milton Keynes Monopoly. <laughs> There's only 13 left in stock. More are on the way. Bit of an embarrassment, isn't it? That's about... How much is that one? Milton Keynes... £24.99. So there you go. Thank you, Joe. A Milton Keynes Monopoly. Why you'd want it, I can't imagine. I really can't imagine it. But uh, great, great, great customer reviews. Um, yes, yeah, so some of them are actually quite bad, actually. They're not, they're not brilliant. Says, brings out the competitiveness of my family, especially at Christmas. It's Monopoly. It doesn't bring out competitiveness at all. It's just, it, it just goes on the turn of a dice. What do you mean, competitiveness? And somebody says, I was disappointed with the squares chosen. I was hoping for estates to replace the London places on the original board. One of the places chosen is not even in Milton Keynes, and they're really unhappy. Uh, a bit disappointed there are no roundabouts. Only played it Christmas Day, or in their case, Xmas Day, uh, which is not, not so exciting, is it? Paul Smith tells me, there's a man playing the bongo drums at Waterloo Places. It's not even 5am. Hotels are trying to chase him. We had somebody sleeping in the doorway of Santander the other day. It's really getting quite bad. The council need to do something about it. And the homeless charities in Twickenham. Because so far they've done absolutely diddly squat, ladies and gentlemen. What's the point of them? What's the point of having them? Uh, and one here, uh, a diluted quality, they say, of the Milton Keynes edition of Monopoly. They said, hey, I always love it, hey, like people are interested... Hey, I suppose I expected the quality of our old original Monopoly with sturdy board and wooden houses. This is just a lightweight, no doubt efficiently made modern box version of the 1960s classic. 1935, darling. Uh, Quality aside, I expected more in the design of a Milton Keynes edition. Having lived in Milton Keynes since its inception, I can think of lots of things that could have been included. For example, the, the counters, instead of being the standard hat, shoe, car... Which you could, they could have had concrete cow, canal boat, Aston Martin, which all have a meaning within Milton Keynes. Yeah, of course they do. Concrete cows, because they wouldn't know how to milk them anyway. A canal boat, because, you know, that's where people go and hide their drugs. And an Aston Martin, because it's probably the most nicked car, I should imagine. And they said here the locations on the board give the impression they were suggested by a marketing committee and their knowledge of, of Milton Keynes shows. No doubt there's a. Premium cost involved for the names that get to the board. In hindsight, I would not have bought it, but now we'll live with the novelty for the few times we'll use it. Oh, God, what a dreary old baggage you turn out to be. And uh, and then one here called Vivian who says, however, we have put this away until Christmas. 
And uh, Welsh lady says, present for grandson who lives in Milton Keynes and has been asking for it for months. They're all like that in Milton Keynes. They always ask for it, don't they? Which is quite sweet. So there's lots of other ones. There's also Santa is coming to Milton Keynes. Guildford Monopoly. Mega Monopoly. Guildford Monopoly. I mean, it's, it's very, very, you know, that's only £21, incidentally, and a little bit extra. Isn't it funny how they can do all these things? I'm quite impressed by this, actually. It, it shows great... Great imagination and foresight that you can have the monopoly for your area. So, in other, well, most of your areas anyway, but I think that's great, actually. Uh, mixed fleet crew, Steve, who have joined BA in recent years on a much lower salary than previous cabin crew. They're called mixed because they crew both long haul and short haul. See, there you go. I've learnt something I didn't know before. Thank you, Judith, very much indeed. And then somebody says, Steve, every morning... Only five minutes passes of your show and I can easily say what your mood is. Today is one of those days I can absolutely positively say you're in your best mood. I'm always in my best mood every morning. You know why? I'm getting paid <laughs> every morning. Ask, ask the producer. I do not start any programme apart from a good mood. It's only ever a good mood. It might, it might veer off if I sort of discover some really awful stories that I hate in the newspapers, but no, traditionally, I'm actually about as happy as you're going to get at this time of the morning. You won't find anybody happier than me at this time of the morning. Seriously, I bounce around like Tigger. I bounce around like Tigger because I, I, like, I like doing my job. I love doing my job and they pay me money and it's Friday. So it's... Uh, producer is dismantling the, uh, the control room at the moment. No idea why, actually. Don't play with it. It's ridiculous. It's, it's, it'll fall apart. Uh, who's the ref who's been sent off to Saudi? This is Mark Clattenburg, is it? And uh, he's ditched the Premier League for a new job in the Desert Kingdom. You know why? Money. Money. It's what they go for. And uh, so they've done a full, full story on him, which is lovely. The world's best ref. Uh, they say books his place in Saudi for six million they offered him a £6 million deal. I'd never even heard of him. Does he really love himself? Well, you should imagine he loves himself even more now. He's got a £6 million deal. I mean, the move will see his annual salary rise up tenfold after he earned 150000 last year. If he stays in the Middle East for four years, he could top £6 million in salary payments and add-ons. Wow. And that's, and that's a referee. He's a referee. You think, oh, he's a celeb referee, is he? Oh, he thinks he is. Oh, right. Oh, right. He's, um, oh, there's a picture of him as well with his ex-wife, Helen, in, oh, he's obviously one of these people who thinks he's really good looking. I can tell, actually. I can tell. I get the same kind of thing. Same kind of thing. They say, celeb Mark loves the flashy life. Oh, God. Oh, well, at least he's going to Dubai. He'll actually disappear now. Now he's gone to Dubai. Phew. I didn't even, I'd never even heard of him before, actually. So, uh, here we go. The McCann's fury over a new slur. Do you know the barely a day goes by now without the McCann? We, we sort of had a period where we kind of sort of left it. And, uh, and now... They've blasted claims. I mean, you can't believe this one. I mean, seriously, pin back thy ears and listen. They've blasted claims. They plan to make a fortune from the 10th anniversary of their daughter Madeline's disappearance. I mean, how, how would that be? Spokesman Clarence Mitchell denied allegations in the Portuguese press. Oh, there we go, Portuguese press, that the parents were taking fees for interviews. He said they want to make it clear they're not making any money out of Madeline's disappearance. Any claims are spurious nonsense, but fit in with the Portuguese agenda. So uh, they face financial ruin. They lost that, uh, that libel case, which could cost them. They say anything up to a million. I don't, I don't know if the courts have decided on any money as yet, but um, it's, it hasn't cost them. They, they, they can't cash in on it. If people choose to give them money, that's their business. 
you know, £12 million of our money has gone for looking for Madeleine McCann. And to be honest with you, it's it sort of fades a little bit. Much as though every parent, you know, as indeed the mother of that uh, that boy, Connor, uh, who disappeared back in September, she's still clinging on to that hope that he's still alive, that he's still out there somewhere. Where? I have no idea. In the case of Madeleine McCann, we, we, we could throw a million pounds at that. Well, throw, throw 12, 12 million at it. And we're no nearer. We don't know anything. I could understand it if this, this place had had CCTV, but there was no CCTV. Nobody saw anything. They saw nothing at all. News is coming up at five o'clock. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast on LBC. The former Rotary Club president caught scratching a V into his neighbour's Bentley. What a horrible piece of work he is. Anger over parking fees at a tragic Poldark mine. Cleaner living Brits spend less on alcohol, although not in the case of Danny Dyer. He's been wrested by the BBC for, uh, for issues, apparently as exhausted as a newt. Uh, the other one was uh, the Lowry uh, forger, jailed for fraud, has now been told he can sell his work. See, I don't think there's anything the matter. That's a, that's a form of flattery, isn't it? Somebody can do you a Lowry. How much are you charging? Oh, about £500. Well, it's cheaper. He's only drawing stick, stick men and women, isn't he? What's the matter with that? I think that's quite good news. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Four minutes past five. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast, Friday the 17th of February. Shame, 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 shame. Heaped on the Rotary Club. Uh, The reason it's shame on the Rotary Club, because a man who vandalised somebody's pride and joy, a Bentley, um, is still in the organisation. And uh, he's still a member. And I'll tell you the sad story, because it is really quite atrocious. Sick of suffering repeated scratches to his classic Bentley, Peter Sterling installed a CCTV camera to catch the vandal. And instead of snaring a mindless youth, footage of the latest attack revealed the culprit was his respected neighbour, John Saunders. The V-shaped mark scratched into the 1954 Bentley was the result of a feud between the two men over the management of their apartment block. Despite the damning video evidence, Saunders, 69, claimed he was only peering into the vehicle and had not caused £2,000 worth of damage. The former Rotary Club president, though, was found guilty and ordered to pay the victims £200 insurance excess as well as a £1,500 fine. Saunders is a retired bank manager. He vandalised the Bentley in the underground car park of his apartment complex in Colchester. He's quite clearly a very nasty piece of work. Mr Sterling's car had been vandalised on previous occasions, though he didn't know who was responsible. He's lived in the building for more than 30 years. He revealed the reason for the dispute was his objection to Saunders' multiple roles as director of the apartment block's management firm. I pointed out to him on a couple of occasions I didn't think one person should be chairman, secretary and looking after the finances. Absolutely not. It should be a committee. Like, we have a committee where I am. Uh, I'm a director of the company that looks after the site. And we have a management company that report to us. If we need something doing, we contact the management company. You don't have one person. That would not be nice. Anyway, and uh, describing what happened on June the 7th, the day his car was scratched, he said Saunders was milling around outside the security pass door to the car park. It had been chained open. I'm sensitive about the security because the car has been scratched previously. Mr Sterling closed the door and said he received a sarcastic thank you from Saunders before returning to his flat. I thought if he was going to be scratched in a fit of pique, it would happen then. Shortly afterwards, Mr Sterling checked his car and found a fresh scratch. 
When he looked at the CCTV footage, he saw Mr Saunders strolling to the car and scratching its left back panel. Mr Sterling said he was not aware of the camera. His face is clearly identified. He's obviously a horrible piece of work, isn't he, this John Saunders? But uh, he believed his neighbour was also responsible for earlier damage, but the police said, you know, there, was no, there wasn't any evidence for that because he only just installed the camera. Uh, the car uh, once belonged to Sir Freddie Laker. It cost Mr Sterling 20 grand. He said he had plans to hire out the Bentley for weddings and uh, proms. Had to be shelved because of the repeated damage. It's needed £9,000 worth of repairs in the past. Saunders, this is John Saunders, who appeared before magistrates in Ipswich on Monday, was also ordered to pay £650 costs. And a victim surcharge, retired finance worker Mr Sterling, said the whole experience had been very stressful. Two-bedroom flats sell around uh, 250000 in this place, which has got 24 apartments on the outskirts of Colchester. Mr Saunders, John Saunders, former head of Kelverdon and District Rotary Club in Essex, declined to discuss the matter at his home. I bet he did. Another resident who asked not to be named said it's all got out of hand. I knew there were a few tensions between them about the Residents Association, but I was stunned when I saw what he did to the Bentley. It's a lovely car, well known. A spokesman for Rotary International in Great Britain and Ireland said the organisation did not condone any unlawful behaviour, but admitted that Mr Saunders remained a member. She said the incident in question is a personal matter and is not related to Rotary International. You want people like that in Rotary, do you? I'm a bit disappointed. A bit disappointed that you would want somebody who's just been found guilty of criminal damage to somebody's pride and joy. You want people like that in Rotary, do you? Why? Why would you want somebody like that? It's not very nice. Obviously, John Saunders, not a very pleasant person at all. Not very pleasant. And to vandalise somebody's pride and joy. I was peering into the car. The claptrap these old biddies come up with, honestly, is ridiculous. But uh, there he is, and he's still in Rotary. Well, I'm sure we'll find other people who've been in Rotary. I mean, it's disgraceful, isn't it? It's got nothing to do with Rotary. No, but he's a Rotary member. Surely that would have some reflection. Doesn't it stand for anything anymore, Rotary? I thought it did. I thought it did. Uh, the woolly mammoth. Would it come back from the dead? I do hope so. I quite, but apparently they were smaller than we imagine. I think we imagine things really the size of giant elephants. But the ones that I've seen, or the, the ones that they've dug out the permafrost, appear to be quite small. And it's an elephant with fur. And in two years' time, they could introduce the woolly side of it back... I mean, I don't know whether there'd be problems with it or whether or not we'd be terribly, terribly disappointed with it. And um, the woolly mammoths roamed the tundra. And uh, this, this sort of permafrost got them. And what they used to do, uh, they kept the tundra from thawing by punching through the snow and allowing cold air to come in. Snow and ice act as insulation, so it cooled the earth. And so they say here that they could actually, because they've got DNA, it's been spliced into an elephant gen genome from 15 to 45. And this professor says that uh, we already know about ones to do with small ears, uh, fat, hair and blood, but there are others that seem to be positively secluded. So they have found a couple of woolly mammoths over the years, and they reckon with this DNA that they've got, they could put it into another elephant and over the course of the next two years it could then become standard that the elephant would be born as a woolly mammoth i mean how long ladies and gentlemen before tyrannosaurus rex are roaming the plains of balham or clapham common how long before we see pterodactyls my that'll freak the pigeons out what's coming in god knows but it's huge even even the seagulls would be looking pretty small compared to pterodactyls because we've all seen Jurassic Park. I mean, it's, it's playing with science.
it's messing about with science and it could be true. It could be true. Something could actually happen, couldn't it? That could bring, I hope it's in my lifetime. I'm a bit excited by that, a woolly mammoth. And do you think, I mean, would it be in a zoo or would it be sort of roaming free in the tundra? Where, I mean, where would it be? I don't know, but uh, I'm very excited. Actually happening, Liam and Screen Sun. And this is Thomas Brodie Sangster. Thomas Brodie Sangster has uh, got a bit older now. Uh, this must be, how many years on? 2003. So 2000, well, no, quite, quite a few years on. So he's about 14, he's got to be older than 14. He's growing a little moustache here and he's got longer hair. And they've slipped back into it. It doesn't say, no, it's 14 years. So 14 years. He's 26 now. 26. Does, do, the, do people make it to adulthood if they're child actors? Because he appeared, on, he was in Nanny McPhee as well, was Thomas Brodie Sangster. It seems so funny when you see somebody later and you go, oh my goodness me. Like seeing all the kids, wasn't it? He's in Game of Thrones. 26. Well, that's good. At least he's at least he's kind of made it into sort of adulthood acting because it's so easy to lose these uh, these kids. They reckon the Alps ski resorts, no snow by the end of the century. Climate change. So in other words, I mean, it's it's uh, even a shame, really, because poor old Prince Andrew and our Fergie, they're going to be disappointed in Verbier because they reckon there won't be any snow there. Oh, I should imagine the bottom will fall out the market. Who wants to buy a... We've got an estate agent in Twickenham. He, all his windows are full of pictures of chalets. And you could... Because, I mean, all the chalets are made of, of wood. They all look beautiful. And they've got... And strong. They've got a ton of snow sitting on the roof. It looks ever so pretty. But uh, there's no, no snow there. And uh, these 82 weather stations in the Swiss Alps, they're actually uh, predicting that the snowfall is being cut... I mean, I think, it's, I think it's very pretty. It must be lovely if you live there. You'd have to make sure that you were sort of, you were in for the hall, because once it starts snowing, it kind of snows and snows and snows and snows, and it's so cold. So you'd have to have a big place over there. We'd have to have a swimming pool in it. Quite rare, quite rare. But uh, Courcheval 1850, they'll probably have a few. Verbier, they must have something like that. You just don't want to be near Prince Andrew. You can imagine what a nightmare that would be. Come knocking on your door at three in the morning, asking for a cup of sugar. You know, or something. Have you got any spare milk? No, we haven't got anything like that. Prince Andrew, have, have we met? No. Steve Allen, have we met? Oh, not you. You can just imagine, can't you? I'm not sharing my sugar or milk with anybody at all. So, no snow there. No point in having a chalet. That's the whole idea of having it. But if you did have it, you'd have to go over there with a truck laden up with crates of soup and all different tins of soup. I suddenly realised the other day, actually, talking of soup, because everything's got a sell-by date. Water has a sell-by date. Everything's got a sell-by date. And I was checking my insulin... And I was just about to open a new packet of insulin, and the sell-by date was uh, was last year. So I've had to get rid of that, which is a bit bit disappointing, knowing how much these uh, these things cost. Uh, plus, in the paper today, the the story uh, of uh, of the fact we're going to have a heat wave, a Caribbean heat wave is on the way. How many times have we heard that, eh? I mean, don't get your shorts out just yet. We have a postman in Twickenham. He wears shorts. Come rain, come shine, come winter. Come summer. In fact, I don't think I've ever seen him in long trousers. He's only got short trousers. And he always wears his shorts every day. He must be frozen to death, I should imagine. Uh, also, the universities who are now taking illiterate students simply to hit targets, which is interesting and so poignant. A tiny handprint of William and Harry on Diana's favourite dress. This is a, an Edelstein gown. Uh, they were very young then. And so they've got sort of sticky marks where their hands were on it. There's still the fascination, isn't there? Still the fascination. Because in tomorrow's mail, 
they start um, Diana in fashion, her life, because she was a she was a trendsetter. No matter what anybody said, people wanted her haircut. They wanted her hair set. Nobody goes in and goes, um, could, could I, um, Fergie? Uh, uh, you know, any, uh, no. Um, uh, Sarah Ferguson's fashion? No. Nobody asks about that. Diana? Absolutely. They always want to know. Nobody's going in, are they, asking for Prince Charles's current wife? You know, uh, pa- pa- Parker Bowles hairstyle? No, not here. Uh, any of the Parker Bowles uh, dress? No, I don't think so. Even though she's lovely. But it was Diana who walked away with it. And that's that's why everybody hated her, because she was just she was a bit too perfect. She was a bit too wonderful. Everything fitted. If she wore an outfit like they do now, you know, with sort of certain members of the royal family, if, if somebody wears something that people particularly like, the next thing is it sells out because people want to buy it. And so it, it's the influence. If I've discovered that if I mention something on the programme that I've just bought or it's something like that, the influence of radio and somebody going, oh, that sounds quite nice. I'll go and I'll go and buy that because I've bought here we go. Fake candles. I've, I've got real candles, but these are quite tall church ones with the wick, which is metal, which is obviously on a magnet and it moves and it's got it sound. I know it sounds ghastly, but I promise you this thing's been on for two weeks now on the same batteries and it lights up. Oh, you hate it, don't you? See, it's funny. I quite like it. I bought it. I've got real candles as well, but I do worry that, you know, I'm going to sort of go out and leave a candle burning and I'm going to come back to a smouldering wreck. So, uh, not a, not a, I'm trying to think, actually. I did actually light a candle this morning. It's in a, it's in a, um, uh, like a holder, which reflects the light through it. So even if it does burn out, it's, the candle is in a, a little metal thing. So it should, 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 should be OK. Is that worrying? You just dread getting a phone call from somebody going, um, bit of a problem. We had a problem ages ago, a couple of years back. The uh, disrespectful pizza place uh, who disconnected themselves from a central smoke alarm system burnt down magically that was it it kind of blew up in the early hours of the morning we all thought it was an insurance job but it turned out he didn't have any insurance <laughs> bit of a surprise there luckily it's no more thank goodness you're listening to a podcast from lbc morning everybody the kim killer this is the half brother of kim jong-un uh, thought the attack was a prank yeah we always carry around poison in gloves or things like that don't we it's amazing actually once an assassin always an assassin uh, Steve, I can say with my hand on my heart, says Georgia, I'm one of those illiterate students. Still only have nine hours to write an essay. Listen, I can't do my VAT, so don't, uh, don't worry about it. Actually, I don't know how people would cope nowadays. If they said you could go... They, they were advising the, uh, the moaning lottery winner the other day on the television, but she didn't like she had the intelligence to take in all the advice they were offering. Uh, they said, why don't you go back to college and start learning something, as opposed to sitting down there wasting your life. She didn't want to do that. It was all a bit dreary for her. Uh, Steve, if they resurrected the woolly mammoth, some fat Americans will end up shooting it, says uh, says Marty. Yes, it'll be a fat dentist from somewhere who goes out shooting animals. It'll be the first one to say, oh, I managed to kill a woolly mammoth. Yes. Uh, Monopoly's been uh, updated, says Philip, to a round board. Not for not for lots of them. Not for lots of them. There are, there are a few, but not very many at all. Uh, the family played at Christmas three years ago and the fallout still hasn't subsided. I like When you think about it, it's such a simple game, isn't it? Did you ever play Kaplunk? Please don't write in with your favourite games. It's not that sort of programme. I don't sort of crave the attention of sort of people's past childhood history. I'm just merely mentioning it this morning because they're getting rid of the thimble. They keep changing and updating all the little things that you have. Mind you, there might be people listening 
tourists or something like that who sort of, you know, magically found me on the hotel radio wondering, you know, what Monopoly is. But I'm assuming Monopoly must go round the world. There must be foreign versions, you know, the Prague version or the Beirut version. I don't think Azerbaijan will be having their own version anytime soon or Kazakhstan. But I'm only guessing. I'm only guessing. Uh, Steve, we've got a, a Monopoly game of our town of East Grinstead, which is near Gatwick. Yes, I do know where East Grinstead is. I am I'm quite educated, surprisingly. I know I give a very good impression of not being most of the time. Uh, and Martin says, I'm flying to Prague on Monday with BA, and when I get back on Thursday, I'll let you know the food situation. I doubt I shall buy food on board, as I suspect it will cost an arm and a leg. You have to pay for a lot of places, don't you, now? You have to pay for, I think, is it EasyJet you have to uh, pay for your food? See, I wouldn't have a problem. I don't have a problem with that. I really don't have a problem. I mean, I'm not... I never thought airline food was particularly special anyway. I remember flying with TWA years ago when it was operating and sending a state back four times without realising they can't cook. They can only heat the thing. And uh, and so that, that wasn't very successful. Also, they're the oldest stewardesses in the business. I mean, they really were. They must have been in their 80s, half of them. Uh, there's a revenge speeder here. He's not the brightest penny in the box. And he took revenge on police who gave him a speeding fine by using his car to block a mobile camera at the spot where he'd been caught. Chris Welford, 23, parked on the pavement next to the unmanned camera van and raised the boot of his BMW 5 Series, poor soul, to stop any speeding motorist being photographed. What an idiot. What an absolute idiot. What a stupid person. Mind you, 23. What could you say? He stood there for an hour... I mean, he was caught speeding, poor little soul, honestly, diddums. And so he goes there, and to stop anybody else getting a speeding ticket, the police park this thing there with a camera at the back, and he opens the boot so the camera takes a picture of the inside of the boot. What a complete and utter plank. Cleveland police identified him and visited him at home and gave him a ticking off. He defended his stunt, 23 years old, obviously, you know. He, He defended his stunt by claiming it was not a danger road and there was no real need for a mobile... What's he got to do with you? got to do with you. You got caught speeding on it. So quite clearly it is a danger road. And uh, he'd only just passed his driving test, so an idiot at the same time. Uh, Most members of the community don't want the safety of their children put at risk by the drivers of speeding vehicles, says Inspector Harry Simpson of Cleveland Police. Mr Welford, uh, he was there for about an hour and a half, obviously doesn't work. Claim police chose the spot because drivers go down a bank and pick up speed. He says there was a school there years ago, but that was knocked down, so I don't think there's a real need for them to be there. I'm sorry, sweet pea. Are you some sort of authority on speeding people? Is it idiots like you that feature on that? You should have been arrested, really, for harassment. He says, I know that some speed cameras are there to make money. Caught you speeding, though, didn't they? Caught you speeding, idiot of the first order. He did say he was surprised that the police didn't do anything about it. Well, I'm surprised as well. They drove past him, and that's when they visited him at home, because they obviously got his number. And he just they probably thought he'd broken down in his little BMW. A 23-year-old, honestly. Not the brightest penny in the box, really. The whole idea of speed cameras, whether you like it or not, is there to stop people speeding. And that's why you were caught. You were caught because you were speeding. And just supposing somebody had been coming in the opposite direction and you crashed into them, would you still be protesting? God, dear, I tell you. Wait a minute, that'll be somebody for loose women, won't it? Or something like that. They generally put idiots on like that. Uh, The National Trust are cashing in on a Poldark mine uh, because for almost a century, families living around the Levant mine on Cornwall's rugged north coast have viewed the historic site as a shrine to 31 men who lost their lives there in 1919. But now the National Trust has been accused of cashing in after visitor numbers doubled following the mine's appearance in Poldark. 
You know, because people like to to go and visit places. They see something on the television, like The Last of the Summer Wine, and they go, oh, can we go up and see it? Does it really exist? Yes, it really exists. The only place you can't go to is Emmerdale, because it's on a private estate. It's on a big houses estate, and they've built the village of Emmerdale. So you can't, you can't go there and just sort of pop in. But anyway, they've actually now uh, put a parking thing there, so that people pay to park, because it's a National Trust site. And somebody already, some ghastly person, has ripped the um, the cash point out of the ground. Uh, a protest has garnered hundreds of supporters. The machine was put up again yesterday. And no doubt there'll be a camera on it. And if you touch it again, you'll go to prison. OK, simple as that. Ridiculous. They're putting it up there because it's the National Trust. They want to raise money. You know, it's their their property. and uh, And they want to make sure that the money raised by the parking goes towards the upkeep of the site. I mean, how stupid are these people? It's like people who went out ages ago and sprayed speed cameras. Apart from that idiot we just heard of a short while ago, the 23-year-old idiot who got caught speeding, so he got fined, and then mamby-pamby that he is, he goes and blocks the latest speed camera there because he doesn't think it's right to be there. Well, caught you speeding, and this place is getting people for parking. You know, if you don't, uh, although to be honest with you, you've got to go around, somebody's got to go around and check, you've got a parking ticket on the thing, it's got to be in a prominent position, it's got to be in the right place, otherwise you sort of lose all sense of of um, a proportion, don't you? They're trying to raise money to look after a heritage site. It's got nothing at all to do with the fact that people died there. You know, you could probably point out, if you went through London, people died most places. You know, just as they, in fact, we do have car parks on plague pits in London. Would you be going around taking out the parking metres from there? No, of course not. Of course not. It's only because this one is sort of known about. Uh, the bishop, who pressed the wrong button and ended up voting to uphold the Church of England's opposition to gay marriage. They're really not doing themselves any favours, are they, the Church of England, on this? It, it's, you know, you're not going to attract people into the church. Does it really make any difference? I mean, obviously not now because it's been overturned. But, I mean, does it make any difference whether somebody's gay, straight, bisexual, in between, you know, trans, who cares? Intersex which is our new one that we've only just discovered over the last few days. The Bishop of Coventry, the Right Reverend Christopher Coxworth, backed same-sex marriage supporters and evangelicals who were united in opposing a compromise on the issue. His error added an element of farce to the General Synod defeat for Justin Welby. The vote wrecks the hopes of finding a solution to the Church's long-running war over gay rights. Why? Could, I mean, does it really make a difference? That's why churches are closing, because people are just turning away to it. They've decided to go somewhere else and find a bit of solace. Does it make any difference? Do you think if, you know, many parishioners knew that their vicar was gay, that would make a difference to them? Of course not. Why would somebody worry about it? You know, it doesn't, it really doesn't make any difference. And I think we waste far too much time, you know, faffing around with things like that. So we push the wrong button. You know, let's get over ourselves, shall we? Um, Adele's winning formula, Jan Moyer, uh, talking about all sorts of things here. And uh, this is um, uh, Donna, Donna Eyre, head, as she was called by the press at one point. And apparently um, she says, Mayday, Mayday, sending out a Save Our Sisters SOS emergency one. Donna Eyre hits a pothole in her three-year romance with toy boy James Middleton. Emergency two, Kirsty Walks going through the menopause. Emergency three, what are you talking about? Could things get any worse? Donna was so undone about her struggling relationship with the royal brother-in-law, she was diagnosed with stress. She, oh my goodness, I mean, everybody's getting stressed nowadays. I'm getting stressed reading it. 
course, nobody would believe it, would they, really? She checked herself into a private Alpine clinic to rest, reset and reboot and had vitamin infusions and everything else. Kirsty has made a TV documentary about her hard menopause, which one supposes is a bit like hard Brexit, but with more marginally fewer trade deals. It's, I mean, it's, it's interesting that sort of if you work for the BBC and you fall foul of something, they just make a programme about you. So, had hard menopause? Yeah. Oh, let's do a programme on that, shall we? Let's make a programme. As I say, the money that they waste. Dear Lord above. I mean, as I say, from that Victoria Derbyshire programme, which seems to have a cast of millions, to the ridiculous Top Gear, which isn't pulling in an audience at all, which costs nearly a million pounds a programme. I mean, it's just obscene. It is obscene. Can't they just give the money to a children's hospital? You know, would that not, not be better, actually? Uh, also, Thief Spared Jail. I'll tell you about him in a moment. Why? So he can appear on the Jeremy Kyle show. I mean, really, these judges, you can't make it up, can you? There was somebody the other day, they were what, some kids got caught with um, uh, drugs in their car and all the rest of it. They go into court and the judge goes, I don't think there's any evidence. So they were let off again. I'm beginning to wonder, these judges are just hopelessly out of touch. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. 27 minutes to six. It's early breakfast on LBC with Steve Allen through till seven. Nick Ferrari will take you through with breakfast this morning, including looking at that BA strike and how it's going to affect you. It's the 17th of February. Uh, Good morning, sir. I hate patronising openings to things. It says, you know as well as I do. No, I don't. I don't. That cameras are cash cows. No. I don't know that. I have no idea. That's obviously some cliche that you picked up from a newspaper somewhere. You know, these cameras, they're there to do a job. They're there to stop probably people like you speeding. You know, the whole, it doesn't, it doesn't catch you if you're not speeding. It's for idiots. You know, if you're speeding, you're caught. It's as simple as that. Then they just put them up there for the fun of it. It's to stop people like you breaking the law. Because then this person says, I've been asking for a camera near where I live as there is a school opposite. They say it's not necessary. Uh, there's 150 children, 5 to 10. So? They would have monitored that road and they would tell you exactly how dangerous that road was. If they thought that there were people speeding, they would have, they would have looked at it. They don't just stick them up for, you know, for the sake of sticking it up. There's loads of schools around where I am. They don't have speed cameras there. But in this particular road, you know, they put it because people have been caught speeding there. Quite a number already this year. So it's only the people who break the law that get caught. Well, if you break the law, you pay for it. It's as simple as that. Somebody says, if we live in a supposed Christian country, then it does make a difference. Jesus states, no, he didn't. Let's stop making up bits of the Bible. Thank you very much indeed. You know, you can, you can interpret the Bible any which way you want. You can make it say whatever you want it to say, depending on whether you turn to the New Testament or the Old Testament. You know, we're supposed to be tolerant. You know, and if you say we're a Christian country, there are lots and lots of different religions in this country. And as I say, Christian country, we probably would have been at one time. I suspect the uh, the uh, the sides are moving on this one. More churches closed down. You thought we was bad with pubs closing down. Churches are closing down. They turned them into houses. Round my way, four churches have been turned into other things. Lack of interest. Lack of interest. And... Um, I don't think, you know, for, for supposed Christian country, read non-tolerant. You know, the, uh, the church don't want to recognise gay marriages. Why not? Why not? 
I don't think the word gay appears anywhere in the Bible, does it? Does it appear anywhere? I might have misread it, but I'm pretty certain it didn't. However, the um, the odd story is a guy called Dean Grundle. Dean Grundle is one of life's losers. He's a serial shoplifter. He's 44. Uh, he's been shoplifting forever. He's been branded a nuisance by police. He's been caught begging. Uh, the last time he... I mean, he has 149 offences to his name. OK, so we know what he is. He's, uh, he's a man who takes drugs and he drinks and everything else. And he says that this drug addiction is fueling his criminal behaviour. So he thinks in his very teeny tiny brain that if he goes on the Jeremy Kyle show, they can help him. Well, it doesn't work like that. I'm sorry, we can't rely on, you know, there are other people out there who can help you. But uh, he's a long term drug, drug addict. He's now got infection to his legs. Not my problem. This is his problem. He needs to go to a hospital. He needs to get... They, they say he's, he's desperate for rehab. Um, uh, the show's producers, Jeremy Kyle's show producers, uh, are speaking to family members. They might think that he's, he's somebody that they can't do anything with. Police can't do anything with him. Why would the Jeremy Kyle show think they can do something with him? So he's being processed for consideration. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going on the show. So anyway, at his last court appearance... He said, um, I want to appear on the Jeremy Carl show to cure me of my addiction, so can I be spared jail? So the magistrate bought into this. So they've spared him jail. So his solicitor says he wants to go on the programme so he can be taken to a rehabilitation unit. Can't you go to one without the Jeremy Carl show? Is that how it works nowadays? Is that your entry point, the Jeremy Carl show? Um, four years ago, he was banned from begging across Kirklees district under a strict antisocial behaviour order. And um, he's been given an 18-week suspended jail sentence. He comes from Huddersfield, banned from entering specific local stores. Last time, 300 quid's worth of brandy nicked. So it's not just a quick bottle popping it in his pocket. And he was also, he had £43 worth of alcohol from uh, Sainsbury's supermarket in December. He also stole perfume from TK Maxx. Presumably he's not drinking perfume. Presumably he's nicking stuff to, uh, to steal. And um, he's, uh, he's, he's a persistent offender. The police have branded him a blooming nuisance uh, because he just offends. He's been banned from shops in the town centres and the local railway station. He just turns up. It's a bit sad, isn't it, in this day and age, though, where he goes, um, I'd like to go on the Jeremy Carl show. Why don't you just book yourself into rehab? Why don't you go see a doctor and they'll refer you for rehab? I don't want to see somebody like you on terror. I couldn't care less. I couldn't care less. I mean, this has been going on for donkey's years. And you've only just come up with the wheeze that you could appear on the Jeremy Kyle show. And they haven't confirmed that he is appearing on the Jeremy Kyle show. What they've said is he's up for consideration. But there'd be loads of people. They'd be looking for somebody who they think they might be able to help. If they don't think that they can do anything with him, he won't get on the show. And so he carries on doing what he's, uh, what he's been doing. It's, uh, it's a very odd story, really. So you can go into court now... And you can go, actually, I need to, uh, I need to appear on the Jeremy Carl show so I, can, uh, so I can then go into rehab. As if they're, they're, they're just going to say, oh, well, let's book you into rehab. It doesn't work like that. I wish it was that simple. It'd be so much easier, wouldn't it, for all the drunks on the streets and the abuse. And, you know, if you live in, in anywhere in this country now, it's not necessarily somewhere that is selected like sort of a capital city or a main city in this country where you find drunkenness. You find it everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. Anywhere where there are pubs, you're going to find alcohol. Anywhere where there are little convenience stores, you're going to find alcohol. Anywhere where... We see it on the police programmes. Young children, 14-year-olds, a younger, 12-year-olds, in parks, boozing it up. You know, little canisters, these little metal things which sort of inflate balloons or something, which people have delivered by motorcycle couriers now. They litter the place. 
Because people, it's like this, I think it's like a laughing gas, isn't it? Or something like that. How sad we become. How sad we become. Can't be long before you just find needles strewn around the streets, ladies and gentlemen. Happy birthday today to André Maginot. He died in 1932, but he's famous because of the Maginot Line, the network of fortifications against Germany, which he'd argued for as a minister of war, but it didn't cover the French-Belgian frontier, which was breached by the Nazis in 1940. But uh, So uh, when you hear about the Maginot Line, now you know who it was. It's also the birthday today of Nick Hewer. Nick Hewer, 73. He's a very sprightly 73. I like him. And also Rebecca Adlington, who I'm not remotely interested in. Seriously, I couldn't care less about Rebecca Adlington. She's apparently, she's our most successful Olympic swimmer. Yeah, well, if they'd asked me, I could have done it as well. I could have swum not. Uh, Also, the travel tycoon. This is Sir Mick Jagger. Has twins with model. He was proud of becoming a father again at the age of 73. Travel tycoon uh, Geoffrey Kent has gone one better. He's 74. Blimey, he's a very good-looking 74. But his uh, his model, girlfriend, wife, um, have just had uh, two children. Sweet and cute, he says. The, the, this man organises... Is he really 74? Good heavens above, honestly. Look at a picture of him. He looks about sort of late 50, early 60s. Doesn't look anything like 74. But, but people don't nowadays, do they? Um... Oh, dear. Adele, £500,000 a show on tour. We did this the other day. Very slow, some of the newspapers, aren't they? And an accountant. Um, it's, it's, you have to be very careful with accountants. I'm quite lucky I've got a really good accountant. But you have to be very good. If, if your accountant cheats you and you go back to HMRC, that's got nothing to do with them. They couldn't care less whether your accountant's cheated you or not. That's up to your business. Apparently, you're the one who's supposed to, to check supposed to check on these things. Uh, the Sun in Love with Moonlight. Uh, this is Terrell Alvin McCraney, who found it very hard to watch Naomi Harris in Moonlight. Uh, he's my special guest for In Conversation tomorrow, together with Ray Cooney, OBE. And uh, the reason he's on is because his story is a story of a boy who grew up poor, young, obviously, black and gay. And you take that in a poor district... And uh, it's the recipe for disaster. And in fact, he watched his mother die. She was a junkie. And uh, that's why we were talking to Naomi Harris a short while ago. You can hear the man whose story it is on In Conversation tomorrow morning. And uh, we'll have a clip in the, uh, in the next hour of the programme uh, so you can hear him. It's very, really an interesting man. Such an ins- and such a nice man. I mean, seriously, such a nice, nice man. But don't mention strawberries. He hates strawberries. Big time, he hates strawberries. Also, Ray Cooney's going to be with us. There's a big, uh, to celebrate, I think, 70 years in the business. There's a big tour that's taking place. Such a clever man. The man who, I think, was behind Fast, together with people like Brian Ricks and everything else. And just down the road from us here in London at the Whitehall Theatre, that was the home of Farce. And uh, Ray Cooney is, is an iconic legend. I think you can say that to him now. Whoops, there goes my trousers, goes the vicar. As another busty girl falls in and out of her bikini. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Scott reckons they've got a mining-themed monopoly in Western Australia. The locations are all the different mines. How many have you got? Have you got loads of different mines? I was looking at uh, an investment the other day. Not, it was just a piece in the paper. 
and it was looking at diamonds. And they were saying, you know, entry point really is, you know, £5,000, something like that, if you're looking for really class stuff. And it made me laugh, because when I watch these jewellery channels on the television, there's so many of them, and they go, here it is, collectors are bidding for this one, twenty nine ninety nine, And you think, well, what sort of rubbish is that you're selling? The answer is it's selling at the lower end of the market. Kind of stuff you get in Christmas crackers. That's what it is. And they go, this is so rare, so rare, so rare. I had to take them to task for putting up some ludicrous price, like £17,000, and it came down to sixty nine ninety nine. I mean, are the people who buy this stuff really believing that you're buying something that's really worth a lot of money? No. If you want to buy jewellery, you go to an expert. It's like, you know, if you wanted to buy insulin, you wouldn't, but you'd go to the doctor to get it. You wouldn't sort of buy it on the internet, would you? If you want to buy jewellery, you go to a jeweller's, because that's what they do. You know, certain jewellers make jewellery for you. Proper jewellery, not sort of cheap, tatty old stuff. Uh, salt doesn't have a sell-by date. Uh, mainly, I think, because it's about five billion years old already, says Martin. Uh, they do. I'm always fascinated. I hate salt mines. Hate salt. There's a smell to a salt mine that you would never get out of your uh, of your nostrils. But uh, you're, I don't know whether five billion years would be accurate. I'd need to see some uh, some evidence of that. That's that's a question, isn't it, for uh, for, for for James O'Brien's musical hour? How old is salt? How old is it? You know, would anybody know the answer to that? Somebody might know. And does it not have a sell-by date on? I reckon it must do. Somebody will have to tell me. I know water has a sell-by date. Because the moment you've undone it, it starts going off. Doesn't make any sense, does it? Having told you earlier that my insulin was out of date, uh, I, now, I now do check everything. I check sell-by dates. Very, in fact, I'm paranoid about sell-by dates. I don't know why. I obviously think that it's, uh, it's a case of it gets to midnight and then it goes out of I won't eat a sandwich if it's out of date. If it goes, you know, the 6th or, and then today is the 7th, whatever it happens to be, I won't eat it. I th- I've been known to throw things away. I just, just in case. Just in case. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Apparently, Phil says there's a Derby Monopoly version. Southerners don't understand it because you have to pay for the house, not inherit it. Dear. What an old-fashioned person you are. <laughs> Of course, our houses are always going to go up more than yours are, aren't they, really? And, uh, and Raj tells me that there is a monopoly for the Indian-Pakistani populated area. It's got dreadful reviews. Seriously, it's only, it's only got two reviews. They've only got one left in stock, and I'm not surprised at 140 quid. I mean, that seems an awful lot of money. Why would it be so expensive? <laughs> would it be some reason? And, um, again, it's, it's got sort of different... They say exciting news. The South Asian community is passing go in... Is it... Uh, and this is where I'm going to get my pronunciation wrong. Is it... Desi Monopoly or Desai Monopoly? Because none of us know. Really, I, I feel a bit uh, bad. Wally says, do you keep your insulin in the fridge? Yes. Well, I, I do until I, until I use it. When I take it out of the fridge to use it, then I keep it out of the fridge. And I've got it with me now, so it's obviously not in the fridge. Some people keep theirs, theirs in the fridge all the time, but uh, I don't like the feel of cold insulin, I'm afraid. Uh, Padita, morning says my mother was rather shrewd when we were younger. She used to tell us if we were very well behaved, we'd be allowed to wash the dishes after meals. So we'd compete for the privilege until friends came round for dinner and uh, and laughed at us. Oh, that was sad, wasn't it? Actually, to be honest with you, if my uh, we used to wash the dishes as well. If we were asked, we didn't kind of do it voluntarily. And I didn't want to dry. I thought drying was boring. Boring. I wanted to wash... So me and my brother would fight over who actually was going to be uh, doing the washing and who'd be the dry. Because I think you're supposed to do things. When, you, when you're a child, 
and you live at home, you don't do any of your washing. You don't probably don't even make your bed, do you? My mother used to make my bed. I don't know why I had the inability to make a bed. And so you would do things like you'd wash the car or you'd sweep up leaves in the garden, if you were lucky enough to have leaves or a garden or both. And uh, and you do little things like that. You would sort of... I didn't go as far as cleaning the windows, but I could do the washing up. You know, if my mum says, oh, can you bring down the basket, you know, with the washing from upstairs, then bring it downstairs. You need to do that. You could put it in the washing machine, although you generally do it wrong. My mother would say, no, no, not whites and coloureds in the same machine. Take the ones out. Otherwise, everything starts going pink, doesn't it? So I can understand her saying that because I think you're right, actually. People would probably laugh at what are you doing. You go, well, I'm being really good, so I, I get to do the washing up. It was like a, like a thrill, wasn't it? That, it doesn't matter, does it? I think that I think that's how it works nowadays. People should pull their weight in the house. There's a lot of uh, a lot of work to do running a household. I mean, you know, my uh, the mother of my uh, grand of uh, my godchild, my grandchild, my godchildren. I mean, she has piles of washing. I mean, piles. I don't even lift a a, a finger to do washing or ironing. I get somebody else to do it. So much easier. Uh, Dean says, sorry, an hour late this morning. Note from your parents. Thank you very much indeed. There's no good apologising. I mean, mean, to put it this way, if you turn up late for this uh, this programme, I would rather you podcasted. So that if you go to the LBC website, lbc.co.uk... Uh, there's an app you can download. You get a free podcast every day. And then this programme, the producer edits it all down, takes out the uh, the travel and the news and uh, and the adverts, and then you just get a, get a programme. And so you can get there every day. You pay for that. It's from as little as £2 a month. But everything on LBC. You can download O'Brien's Musical Hour, his Magical Hour, I think the Mystery Hour as well. Is that still running? Mystery? Yeah. And you can... You can I don't think that's running anymore, is it? <coughs> It's amazing what you remember, though, when people tell you something about something. And he had a, a deja vu moment. Not that I was listening. He has a, a deja vu moment. He said, I'm sure I've heard this, this before, this, this question. And I thought, yes, I thought I'd heard it before as well. But you do remember things. You remember certain little bits and um, pieces. So if you go to the LBC website, download that app. Free for phone, tablet, costs you nothing at all. Very easy to do. And then you can always listen to LBC wherever you are. So if you're going out... You know, in the car or something like that, you can listen to LBC. If you're going on holiday, you can hear LBC. It makes it so much easier. And that way you don't get those dreadful withdrawal symptoms which people get when they go, oh, I'm going on holiday. Somebody wrote to me from Barbados the other day saying, um, I'm listening to you in Barbados on the on the podcast in the LBC app. Oh, look. Oh, Brooklyn Beckham. OK, broke. Oh, it doesn't matter. Uh, because little, little Brooklyn apparently has been out on... Uh, on a ski trip, and Dave went as well. Uh, Dave went with uh, with Harper and Romeo. I don't know where the rest of them have gone to. I'm sure they uh, they will sort of pop up. Very rare that you don't get the whole picture of the whole family. And so I think we will today. Wait a minute. There's a picture of Brooklyn with Romeo, and uh, also a picture of uh, of little one. She's wearing a, a Adidas by Stella McCartney jacket. They have to tell you how much things cost now with the Beckhams because we get so worried, don't we, that Harper's got a handbag worth nearly 2,000 quid. Um, and then you've got uh, Victoria. She was there, but I don't, I'm not sure if she actually went skiing. It's a bit difficult to tell, really, uh, whether she just stood there with her dark glasses. Nobody else is wearing dark glasses. I don't, do you think the kids have ever seen her without the dark glasses? <laughs> do you think when she walks in, they go, who are you? Who are you? I'm your mother. Woo! Scary woman. Put the glasses back on again. Not still uh, pieced off, though, about Sir Bex, because Dave's having a bit of a holiday here, because it's uh, not really a lot to do at the moment, is there? We're in the early part of the year. And so they all go off out skiing, because they're so desperate to mix into 
the upper echelons of society, the people who go skiing. They don't want to be seen as the Chav family who go skiing. They want to be seen as the Beckhams because uh, we kind of ski. Whereas, in fact, I don't think I've ever seen pictures of them skiing before. I was trying to rack my brains thinking, you know, it's another photo opportunity. And they've obviously got their own photographer. These aren't taken with a long lens. These are close-up pictures. So they're quite clearly staged of Harper wearing her Stella McCartney suit, £140, her junior boots, 95 her junior skis, 150 and her Smith helmet, £50. Whereas uh, uh, David's got goggles on, bless his heart. I mean, and he doesn't look dressed for the ski slopes. In fact, none of them look really dressed apart from the kids. And that's only two of them. The other ones just don't look... And poor old, poor old Brooklyn can't even manage that. He's done his arm in already, but great photo opportunity. So that's, uh, that's good, isn't it? Uh, the BBC star's sorry for the blunder on Father Christmas. This is Nick Robinson, obviously from the fake news department, ladies and gentlemen. He's apologised after suggesting live on air that Father Christmas is not real. And, uh, and then he, uh, he issues uh, a jokey tweet to say sorry. A jokey tweet to say sorry. He says here, an apology. Father Christmas confirms he is real. All suggestions to the contrary are fake news. Think a letter maybe to Father Christmas going. I think they're taking your name in vain. Uh, also, I do like the uh, the builder here. He's a building tycoon. He's given more than two hundred million pounds to charity. Two hundred million pounds. And then aren't there two footballers in Manchester who want to spend two hundred million quid? Is this Gary Neville and Ryan Giggs? Is it their money they're playing with? They want to pull down landmarks. Watch it, Manchester. You've got some... Pub, there's a pub vanishing and some very... They think they, they want to regenerate the area. What for? What for? People in Manchester like it the way it is. They don't want things to be changed. Definitely not. There's a carer in the paper today. I'm afraid it's, it's almost as bad as the serial thief who wants to go on the Jeremy Kyle show so they can get him into rehab. Not that it'll make any difference. I mean, let's face it, poor old uh, Paul Gascoigne's been in and out of rehab. It's not made any difference to him at all, has it? But here's a carer. I mean, what sort of carer she is, you can make up your own mind. She racially abused uh, a cabbie and a cop, who she also attacked, has had a curfew lifted, shows she can go on a holiday to centre parks. This is Jessica Horn, 26, berated a driver for an hour, calling him, and I won't repeat any of it, uh, when PC Ivan Brown arrived at the cab office, she yelled, because he was black, she was yelling abuse, I mean, she's quite clearly an old drunk, isn't she, here, and uh, she kicked him in the, in the shin. She was sentenced to a 12-week home curfew, but then complained she'd miss her mum's 60th birthday in April. But it, I mean, am I being harsh when I'm thinking, well, it's your kind of problem, isn't it, really? She was sentenced to this 12 weeks. Soft district judge Alexandra Simmons uh, agreed to lift the punishment for two days to allow her to go. Oh, hell, for goodness sake, honestly. Horn had been on a boozy night out on the town... And then she tried to get a cab at eight at 5.30am. They were both arrested. She was fined. She's got to give compensation as well of 200 quid. Fined £300. She's lost her job caring for dementia. But thank God for that. Thank God for that. But uh, the Police Federation criticised the lifting of her curfew. Rachel Haynes says, Hate crime should be treated seriously. This type of variation to the curfew uh, sends the wrong message. The cabbie flyers called it a joke. He said it's like she's got away with it. She has. She's laughing at you. She's laughing at the whole system. What a stupid magistrate. Seriously. I mean, and even the police federation said, what, I mean, what mess? We've had people spitting at police officers and they're just going, oh, bad day. Oh, no. Short, sharp shock treatment. I am. No, into prison. Ten weeks. Stay there. Racially abusing somebody in this day and age. You can't get away with things like that. And they say, oh, I'm going on holiday to centre parks. Oh, you go take your holiday, sweet pea. 
I'm glad you've lost your job, though. That makes me feel a lot better about life. Coming up very shortly, the news at six o'clock. Kelvin McKenzie's having a bit of a go at uh, Jeremy Kyle and his little nanny. And she's obviously fallen right on her feet. Well, in fact, she's fallen on poor God. But anyway, and um, it's very good. She's not a contestant on the show or anything like that. I say contestant because sometimes I believe after these things, they look so odd, don't they? People shouting and swearing and, you know, there was a mother and son the other day arguing. She hated her son. I don't want you ever to come back into my ass and all this kind of thing. And he was going and she said he's tried to attack me. And he's going, no, I haven't. And I'm thinking... What sort of people go on television and air this dirty laundry? Not very good. Coming up shortly, the news at six. EastEnders, it's the end of the benders. Danny Dyer forced out of Albert Square. As exhausted as a newt, he's, uh, he's had to go and uh, rest himself. So they've, uh, they've said, you, you go and sort, sort yourself out. Occupational hazard, isn't it, I suppose? Uh, David Beckham doing something dreary with the family, as per usual. The former Rotary Club president caught scratching a V, but he's still a member of Rotary. So well done, Rotary, on that one. Uh, the cast of the rom-com classic reuniting 14 years on, but what actually happened next from Love Actually? The catalogue of errors at Argos, they've been underpaying staff, but they're owned by Sainsbury's. Did you know that? I didn't know that. So they're going to have to give the staff some money. And at Sainsbury's, Debenhams have got to give staff money. It's all a bit appalling, isn't it, really? And um, the touching story of the actor and the neighbour. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to be company. Four minutes past six. It's Friday, the 17th of February. Viv wants to know if the Beckham children ever go to school. I don't know. We haven't seen any pictures. We have pictures of every other aspect of their life. Uh, Pictures of them going to see Mummy's fashion show. Uh, Although, actually, the papers didn't carry any pictures of Mummy's fashion show. I was was a bit disappointed in that one. Perhaps there was nothing really to talk about. Um, Pictures of them skiing. But I think you will find um, that half-term finishes, but I don't know whether they're at school here or at school in America, because we don't have any pictures of them going. Perhaps they're homeschooled. I don't know. I mean, really, you'd think by now we'd have seen pictures of something, wouldn't you, really? So uh, the, the answer to the question is, I don't know. I really don't know. Clean-living Brits spend less on alcohol, apparently. Now, really? Really? Oh, yes, because we've just done two stories. One, a man who pinches from supermarkets and wants to go into rehab, and Danny Dyer forced out of Albert Square. And that's the front page of the uh, of the papers today. It's the front page of the of the Sun. Boozy star forced out of show over troubles. When I interviewed him for uh, for a sort of uh, uh, an in conversation program quite a few years ago now, he did turn up well the worse for wear. And uh, as I've explained to you before, Danny Dyer does swear an awful lot. In fact, in interviews, every other word is a, is a rude. How he gets through a script in EastEnders. Anyway, they've uh, they've decided to uh, rest him. From the programme. They call him a party animal. And you cannot do that. Now, I thought that before he went into EastEnders, and back in my mind, there was somebody saying, you know that you've got to knuckle down and do this properly. There's no messing around here. They're working to a tight schedule. And I thought he was actually holding it together quite well. Um, but uh, he's, uh, he's stopped filming. Well, they, they've stopped filming with him. They say he could be off for a number of weeks. And it can either it can go two ways. It can either be a wake-up call for him that your career is about to disappear or failing that you get some help or you cut back on the boozing and the partying and everything else which if you're a party animal is probably quite difficult to do he's only he's, he's only coming up 40 so he's not exactly ancient in terms of uh, the business um and if it all goes well then he can come back in again but I have a feeling it might go the other way I mean it's it's a swings and roundabout situation Kelvin McKenzie talks about um 
a good photo. What was it that first attracted TV host Jeremy Kyle to his family nanny of nine years, Vicky Burton? There are no prizes, by the way. And so poor old Jeremy Kyle. I mean, we do laugh at the show because it is it's all the people you're so grateful that you don't live anywhere near. You don't want to be there. Mind you, Loose Women's gone roughly the same way. They've, uh, they've, they've sort of taken the downward turn by putting people on who are of no interest to anybody at all. The girl who won the lottery has turned up on just about everything. There's obviously something the matter with her. She's, she's got some attention-seeking illness, which means that she wants to tell people how the lottery ruined her life. Well, give the money away then. Stop droning on about it. It's a boring. She's turned up on so many interviews now. Let's hope that's the end of it. The latest one is turning up on Loose Women today is uh, is uh, Bianca Gascoigne. Yes, Bianca who? Exactly, that's what they say in the business. Bianca who? Her claim to fame today is she's going on to talk about a five-minute relationship she had on Big Brother. And that's the extent of it. Because really, there's nothing else going on. She works in a strip club on the reception desk, taking people's money so they can go and watch people taking their clothes off. And that is her claim to fame. Not really good, is it, really? Uh, the father of missing RAF gunner, Cory McKeague, said yesterday, police are searching for his body. Which is what we predicted before. This boy's been missing since September. They've done everything. They've tried to find out where his phone was. They've tried to find out CCTV images. They've tried to... They've tried everything. They've had people going out there looking for him. He just appeared to vanish. They think he might have got into a car. They're not sure about that. Um, Also, he was seen at 3.25 near a truck in Bury St Edmunds. The police halted waste deliveries to a tip, but held off because the lorry had none of his DNA. Uh, the search in Milton, Cambridge, starts on Wednesday. I mean, it has to be said, they surely cannot be looking for somebody who's alive, not since September. They normally say if somebody's not found within 24 hours, they start fearing the worst. Uh, they say that a bin lorry may have unwittingly scooped him up after his boozy September night out. Um, they're no longer about looking for his phone, witnesses or CCTV. So now they've said they're looking for a body. I mean, it's just it's just awful, isn't it, that people vanish in this day and age. And I thought we had... I'm constantly telling people, oh, don't worry, we've got loads of CCTV. You can't move for CCTV. But it's not necessarily the case, is it, really? Uh, and in the case of, uh, of this poor young man, he's just vanished into thin air. Uh, the Daily Mail are talking about the business rates. And I was talking to people the other day because I know people who've got businesses in Twickenham. And they said pe- people are going to go under. If these business rates come through, people are going to go under because they can't actually, um, they can't actually, you know, afford it. People are struggling at the moment. Business rates, rent, you know, and all these other things, electricity. A friend of mine was written to the other day by somebody in, in Twickenham saying, would you like a hanging basket outside your, uh, your shop? 75 quid and 20 quid to water it. He said, but I can um, I can go and buy a basket for 25 quid. Why would I pay 75 quid for it? And that's what people do nowadays. It's, it's very difficult for people to make a living. And especially as there's more and more coffee shops that open up. We've got another coffee shop opening up. Like we need another coffee shop. How many we got? Let me count them as I go through. One. There's one. Yeah, one. Because they're offering free, free coffee in Waitrose if you buy something. Or I don't know how it works. And so you get coffee there, then a bit further down there's a double-sized one, then over the road from that there's another one, next to that there's another one. Then you go a little bit around the corner, then there's another one, two, three. We must have about ten coffee shops. And of course the difference is that the latest one that's opened up is a franchise, a Canadian franchise, we've found out, and, uh, and they're hoping to compete in the market. 
when you've competed with the big coffee shops, the big, the big ch- who don't pay any tax, they don't pay any corporation tax. So how can you compete against something like that? Small wonder local businesses vanish and they just disappear. We have more places going under because they can't compete with with people. And so you very shortly just get to see, you know, local local little places dying completely. You just have the corner shops who luckily through the three the mere skin of their teeth managed to uh, to hang on against all the odds because they've got to diverse. They've got to sell phone cards. They've got to do lottery tickets. They've got to sell booze. They've got to sell milk. They've got to sell sandwiches. Apart from the newspapers, the cigarettes, the cards, the sweets and all the stuff like that, it's difficult to make money. And they struggle. So by putting up the business rates, it's going to kill local areas. You're going to see shops closing left, right and centre. But now, according to the Daily Mail, ministers were facing a growing revolt as leading bodies claim it could be illegal. 13 business groups have signed this letter warning small firms could be blocked from appealing against big rises in their rates. 500,000 cafes and shops and things like that could be affected. The only people not affected are fish farms. Perhaps you could register the business as a fish farm. Uh, or a church. Churches don't. But nurseries, so if you send your, uh, your little kiddie winks to nursery, they're going to be passing it on to you. You're going to have to pay for it. It might be stretched at the moment. But I promise you, it's going to be even more stretched, you know, a little bit further down the line. Not so good. Uh, more on the shame of the Rotary Club bigwig who vandalised the Bentley. Horrible piece of work he is. John Saunders. He got fined uh, quite a lot of money, actually, for vandalising somebody's car. Uh, he's, he's sort of chairman and secretary and he seems to manage everything himself. And so it was a, it's a, an ongoing argument. I've often said before, don't have arguments with your neighbours. Very unwise, very unwise. I wouldn't even dream of having an argument with a neighbour. I really wouldn't, although I see one's looming, but it doesn't matter. Monopoly ditching the thimble after 82 years. And uh, they've said here it could be replaced by a hashtag or an emoji. I don't know what an emoji is. I keep reading the word emoji. What is an emoji? It's, you get a little picture in te- Oh, right. I was told on my phone, after I downloaded this thing, I was going to have balloons everywhere. You know, when you send a message, it comes with balloons that go, well, I haven't seen one balloon. Nothing at all. I feel quite cheated. So that's what it is. So an emoji is... Oh, right, OK. Sounds dreadfully dull, doesn't it, really? Leave the thimble. Don't actually change it. Uh, Somebody said, have you seen any of the remake of Roots on television? No. No. What television's that on? It's not on my television. Is that on something recently? I don't know. There's far too much to watch on television. The, The dumbing down of television... It can't be on any of the mainstream channels because I've not seen any adverts for it. This is the uh, the miniseries, isn't it? This is a remake of the 77 with uh, Jonathan Rhys, Mayers and uh, who else is in it? Oh, all sorts of people, actually. Because in the 17... I don't want to go into it because you know what Roots is. If you, if you don't know what it is, go and get the box set. Then you'll understand exactly what it was. It's a powerful piece of, of television. Very powerful piece. But this is sort of a miniseries. If we, if we want it again, I don't know. It's the History Channel. So I don't think I have the History Channel. I don't think so. It aired in four instalments in, in America. BBC Four. What in God's name is that? BBC Four? Oh, that's their really intellectual channel. I've even heard of it. Where would one find that? Oh, is it? Uh, I don't know why they don't close down after these things. What's the matter with just BBC One, BBC Two, ITV, ITV Two, and then Channel Four, and forget Channel Five. I mean, there's no point in putting Channel Five on. I know people that still can't receive Channel Five. Isn't that odd? You would have th- I mean, mind you, I have to be honest, there's hardly anything worth watching on it. It really is quite uh, quite dreary now. I thought it would have sort of, you know, got some really good programmes on, but it, it just, they're just not very good at all. You see, 
Now, my friend Pordy has just sent me a message with balloons. But uh, I've got a horrible feeling. I'm going to open this, this message up and I'm not going to have balloons. And that's going to upset me, I can tell. So wait a minute. So here we go. Message sent with balloons. Uh, oh, I've got balloons on my phone. So I got... Oh, it's gone. I just got a... Thank you. Thank you for that, Pordy. But I didn't know... Right, so I can re replay balloons. Like that. See, the, is that good? Oh, I, I feel as I feel as I've sort of exonerated myself now. Uh, after the news, we'll have a listen to what's coming up this weekend for in conversation. It's two two cracking conversations. Only one. I shall play to you this one. I'm going to leave you hanging on the edge, but the one we've got is uh, is very very good as well. So that's all to uh, come. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Nice to have you company. It's Steve Allen's Early Breakfast on LBC. It's Friday the 17th of February. And somebody wrote to me, actually, Jackie, who says apparently it's called The Mystery Hour with Mr James O'Brien. I don't think it is. I think I'm quite quite right on that one, Jackie. But uh, I'm prepared to uh, sort of... I'll, I'll have a check on it. I think it's very unlikely, though. It's definitely called The Musical Hour and The Magical Hour as well, which they do every third week, I think. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde have been reunited. Did I mention the fact they'd been reunited? And uh, also, um, uh, one here, this is uh, Paul, Paul Brennan. A little bit early, Paul, today. Uh, I'm, I'm not the 17th of February, I'm the 17th of March. I don't think you've ever got that wrong before. Paul Brennan works in Vienna, uh, in Austria, and uh, he always posts pictures of him and his other half. Uh, when they go on holidays and all the rest of it. He's one of these people who's, who discovered super fitness... And they both now super, super... I mean, seriously, there's no way I could ever see him ever again. He'd be so horrified. So there's no chance. But he's walking to the Funkhaus, which is in Argentinierstrasse. I'm so good at this sort of... Kind of I love this kind of thing. And it's, uh, it's the Austrian equivalent in Vienna of... Um, I was going to say global radio, but I think it's bigger. It's, it's huge. It's absolutely... Normal. But they have exactly the same there. They have Udrai, Usfai... Ufia and all these all these different radio stations in there. And there's lots and lots of it. The building is horrible looking. It looks like something out of pre-war Germany. It's very plain and very austere with flag. They hang flags everywhere in Austria. I don't know why I hang flags everywhere. But uh, so it's it's another month to go yet. And then I turn 43. Oh, God, how depressed am I? Anyway, so Bonnie and Clyde uh, are going to be reunited. Faye Dunaway, 76, and Warren Beatty, 79. 79, good Lord, is set to present the Best Picture Oscar to mark the film's 50th anniversary. Do you know, I cannot remember if I ever saw it. I think I might have done. I think I might have done. Uh, also, we have a, a little clip now for In Conversation. Uh, we always uh, do it. We always play it a little bit in the morning for you. So this morning is no different. And um, I was talking to Naomi Harris about her role in uh, Moonlight, a film that's been nominated for no less than eight Oscars, including Best Picture. Naomi plays the mother of the film's protagonist, Chiron, whose life is based around four key themes, young, poor, black and gay. Moonlight's been adapted from a play called In Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue, written by my guest uh, to try and cope with some tragic circumstances. The character of Chiron is based on himself. Now, since writing the play, he's gone on to serve as the Royal Shakespeare Company's international playwright-in-residence and will become the chair of the playwriting department of the highly prestigious Yale University in Connecticut this summer. 
It's a guy called Terrell Alvin McCraney. And when he popped in the other day, he told me what he was thinking when he first wrote that play that Moonlight is based on. When the original script in Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue, was written, uh, I was 22, um, so it was 2003. And, um, you know, my mother had just passed away and died from AIDS-related complications. And uh, more than anything, I was thinking about um, just, am I a good son? You know, did I do her any justice in the world? Am I doing her any justice in the world? And is there a way I can put down the memory or thoughts of, of our time together, the, the immense struggle, and was there any light at the end of the tunnel? And then Barry Jenkins, the director who wrote uh, the screenplay, looked at that piece and really saw that there was some redemption in it. And his mother also, you know, struggled with addiction. We grew up three blocks away from each other and never met. And so in this moment, you find two men who are really just trying to put their personal uh, origin story together. Um, and so I think, I don't know if we were ever thinking about the accolades. I think we were just really trying to, you know, set, put the foundation down for, for a life that we, we, both, uh, we both shared in a way. And, and really wanting to share it with the rest of the world, obviously. Yeah. Um, but in a way that was authentic to us and not and not exploitive of the situation. So I think that's why, you know, there's moments that are funny in the piece. There are moments that are really, really humorous and touching. Um, and there's a lot of light, you know, it's a, it deals with pain for sure. But it, there's a lot of light in the piece. And so I think you get someone like Naomi Harris, who is incredible and astute. And, uh, you know, on the and again, like you said, when someone t pitches it to you, they say, oh, it's about these things and people sort of get gloomy. And so she was a little hesitant. But then she saw that light, I think, and she took to it and, and, and applied her own sort of strengths to yeah. it. I think uh, we were all lucky for it. We're all lucky for that performance and those performances. Amazing, really. He's such an interesting man, I promise you. That's uh, Terrell Alvin McCraney. And you can hear me talking to him tomorrow alongside Ray Cooney, OBE, the man who really put the farce into, into theatre. And he's been dropping his trousers for, for many a year now. And so that'll be tomorrow from six after the best of Steve Allen repeated on uh, Sunday evening at nine o'clock. OK, nine o'clock. Uh, Mike says it's definitely mystery hour. No, not the one I've heard. Definitely not. And somebody else says it's it's mystery hour, says Martin. No, no, I heard the no the musical hour I was listening to. I'm pretty certain. I was talking to him about it the other day. He was singing, singing me some of the songs that he does on the programme. So I have to get used to it. Uh, other stories. The Caribbean heat wave is on its way. I don't believe it. It's still freezing cold. It's not as cold as it has been of late. But isn't it funny? This will be about the second year running that we've missed snow in London. And when I say missed snow in uh, in London, but, but, um, it's a case that we haven't had anything. A little little light thing. Paul, Paul Brennan says, senior moment. I oh, know. They're worse. Aren't they the worst? You know, when you do something, it's like writing something saying, it's your birthday. Happy birthday. And they write back and go, no, you've missed it. And uh, But, I mean, to be a month out, I, mean, I think it's pushing it just a fraction. Just a fraction. And, uh, oh, was it? I just I got another one here, actually. Uh, so glad you've got uh, Ray. Hope his trousers stay up for you. <laughs> Yes, I'm hoping so too. He's 84. We don't want anything like that going on in the studio. So thank you, Charlie. Uh, so the £6 million ref sent off to Saudi. Uh, this is the one who loves show business. He's a little bit vain. This is Mark uh, Clattenburg, who's ditched the Premier League for a new job in the Desert Kingdom. And it could be worth a lot more to him. It's great. You know, people move for money. I don't have a problem with that. I didn't know who he was before because I don't follow football. And I'm probably never going to hear of him ever again because he'll disappear to Saudi Arabia. Uh, David Hay left fans reeling with a bizarre quip about lobsters yesterday. 
Okay, great. Uh, Because they used to... Was it Del Boy says, the world is my lobster? I'm sure he used to say that as well. And um, the Rovers' return will still be pulling pints in 2017, says the Corrie boss. Of course it will. It it shows no sign of slowing down in Coronet. They just keep going, don't they? They just keep going. I mean, there's no reason why it should close. I mean, we have lost shows over the years. We lost El Dorado. We lost Albion Market. Uh, we've lost quite quite a few soaps because they just don't... They can't stand the test of time. So you're always going to have, in the top five, Coronation Street and EastEnders. It doesn't matter what goes on because they keep changing the cast. So Danny Dyer comes out. That won't change the programme. That won't make any, any difference to it. The fact that he's out because they need him to go and make himself better so that they can presumably carry on filming without interruptions. I don't know how disruptive it's been for them. But if somebody is sort of, you know, not concentrating, they don't have the time. We know this. We've spoken to uh, cast members before from EastEnders. It's a case of uh, we do it now. You don't have the you don't have the opportunity at the end of your scene to go. Um, I wasn't really happy with the way my character went there. Can we do that again? They go, no, we can't do it again. They don't have the time. So if it's being held up by one member of cast, they have to sort of take it out of the equation. Well done to uh, Matt Lucas. He's got an honorary Doctor of Letters from Bristol University. Um, he actually uh, began a degree in theatre, film and TV in 1993, but he never finished it after finding fame. So now he's got his his honorary doctorate. They hand those out like sweeties, don't they? You often see celebrities and they, they put them in, uh, you know, these robes and everything else. And then everybody stands there and throws their hats in the air, their mortarboards or something like that. This doesn't look like a mortarboard. I don't know what he's wearing, but he does have his, uh, his honorary degree. Boy, George has been forced to wear a bulletproof vest. Uh, after receiving death threats, he said Culture Club were hit by negative reactions when they shot to fame in the 1980s. He told Piers Morgan that uh, people didn't want to have me on kids shows. They didn't they didn't know what he was in America. They really didn't know what he was. They weren't used to somebody uh, wearing makeup and stuff like that on television and dressing in all these. But that made him who he was. He was never a great singer. He'd be the first one to probably admit that as well. But he got death threats Uh in America, on tour. He says, I couldn't cancel the gig, so I had to put on a bulletproof vest. Because they're would have they so odd in America. You know, one minute they're sort of hailing sort of naff families like the Kardashians, the next minute being, being all uppity uh, with somebody like, uh, like Boy George, who must have been like a breath of fresh air to lots of people in America, which is very repressed in a lot of ways. If you remember when um, uh, Janet Jackson inadvertently exposed a little bit of top bit, uh, the whole country goes into a meltdown, like they'd never seen anything like that before. You know, and didn't the broadcaster got fined for that one? Was it half a million dollars? They're mad as broomsticks. The country that turns out more pornography than anybody else. Hello? Do explain it to me. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. 26 minutes to 7. Coming up with Nick Ferrari at 7 this morning for breakfast. Sadiq Khan's plans for a toxicity charge on old cars in the capital aims to reduce air pollution. Critics say it'll unfairly hit small businesses. Should the London mayor prioritise business or the environment? Nick will be speaking to LBC presenter and former UKIP leader Nigel Farage about his party's spring conference, which kicks off today amid some unrest. And Tony Blair is calling for Brits to be able to change their minds on Brexit. Do you welcome this intervention from the former PM? That's all with Nick Ferrari at breakfast this morning from 7 here on LBC. Uh, The question in the paper is, is Michelle Keegan pregnant? Apparently she was wearing... Uh, a baby bump coat the other day. I mean, what did I just ask her? Excuse me, are you pregnant? Is that a difficult... Admittedly, it did fool poor old Cheryl Tweedy. She didn't really understand what what the question was when she was asked. It took ages. 
uh, ages and ages. They've made a huge mistake in the paper today, and I've just repeated the mistake as well. Um, they've got uh, David Hayes, who left fans reeling with this bizarre quip about lobsters. The former world heavyweight champion wrote, Life is all about perspective. Uh, the sinking of the Titanic was a, was a welcomed miracle to the lobsters in the ship's kitchen. Uh, which is sort of, it's an odd thing to say, and then sort of p- people get a bit uppity about it. I mean, it was quite clearly, it was just sort of, it was a joke kind of thing. It was a welcome thing, so it meant that the lobsters in the kitchen got to go back to the sea again. OK. Um, and um, they say, but his reference to Titanic, uh, one, one tweeted, bad example, a lot of innocent people died. Oh, grow up, for God's sake. Why can't people understand what is sort of just a joke? It doesn't matter. Does it? It was the Titanic. It was a long time ago. And what they've done here, he says, the strange online post echoed Del Boy's classic phrase, the world's your lobster. But actually, that wasn't Del Boy. That was Arthur Daly. I mean, Del Boy might have said it, but it was Arthur Daly. The world is my lobster. Uh, he said that. I mean, perhaps the person who wrote it, Nadine Badshan, uh, hasn't got the faintest idea who Arthur Daly is. She's perhaps about 12 years old. She might not know this kind of thing. And perhaps she's probably heard Del Boy. He might have said it. But I promise you, it was Arthur Daly who said it years before, years before. So uh, at least try and do your, do your sums right. So is Michelle Keegan pregnant? Who cares? Who cares? I mean, really? Uh, Dean says, I used to love the old soap Albion Market, but I think by the time it finished, it had had its day. I can't even tell you who was in it. I remember El Dorado. That was a complete turkey. That was terrible. And uh, I'm with you, Steve. It's the musical hour. No idea why everybody's calling it mystery hour. Pauline Kingston says, the world, my lobster was Arthur Daly, not Del Boy. Well, he might have said it at some point, but I, I, I feel that he probably didn't. But he might have done. And, and Howard says, I can confirm, Steve, it's definitely musical hour. And somebody wrote it. People keep sending me links into this thing called mystery hour. David Charlwood says, I love the musical hour. Why do these people think it's mystery hour? And Kevin says, I love your wind up. I know, I've got the key and everything. I mean, it works a treat every time. Talking of treats, Viv had one the other day. Went off to afternoon tea at Harrods. There's posh for you. There's posh. Front page of the Express. Very touching story. You'll have to read it later on today because it's... I mean, it really is a touching story. It's about an actor who cared for his neighbour, who's 89. She's sadly uh, passed on uh, now but because uh, she didn't have anybody. She didn't have anybody to look after her. So he, he decided that he was going to look after her and her life ebbed away. So they had loads of pictures taken. I mean, bless her heart. And he gave her the 24-hour nursing that she needed. I mean, it's, it's over and above. Over and above. It began with smiles. And uh, then they grew closer over dinner. Uh, then they moved in together. And um, so she was 80 and dying of leukaemia. He was 31. <clears throat> and, uh, I mean, it, it, it was actually a romance. Which is, you know, you might think that's somewhat bizarre. But when cancer threatened to put her into a nursing home in the final days, he took her into his home to provide the nursing that she needed. He said, I believe that human kindness is a magical thing and can heal what doctors can't. I mean, they had a 58-year age difference. And um, he said, I, I, it, it was just, you know, something that he wanted to do for her. So he wanted to make sure that because, you know, there were crippling medical costs, he turned to social media and uh, he tried to raise money uh, for her care. Within days, he'd got more than £60,000. £60,000. Because we're very generous in this country. We're very generous. As that uh, fund testifies the other day for the three children who were orphaned by their mum and dad, both dying within a short space of time. 
But her health deteriorated. She could barely stand and required a breathing machine. Doctors and nurses visited his home to check on her. It's very challenging. Uh, very challenging, said Chris. It becomes very hard to disassociate the emotional bond you have with someone as you're seeing them die in front of your eyes. But uh, she remained a wise cracking firecracker. She stayed happy. Uh, she's aware of death, he says. She talks about it. She's OK with it. We're trying to spend as much time together as we can. But he says, I'm, I'm very lucky. Uh, Norma did say to him, I don't want you to be the one to find me dead. He said it broke my heart because I knew I would be the one to find her. I was trying to stay strong. He sat for hours at her bedside chatting and watching movies. And uh, Norma says that we mostly talk, drink champagne and eat peanuts. I mean, why not, for goodness sake? They hosted a Christmas party together. They sent out uh, joint cards and um, and then she passed on. They, they had Valentine's Day and then she passed on the next day. And in a final love letter to her, he wrote on Instagram, each of us is lovable, even with all of our differences. Love has no boundaries. May you rest in peace, my sweet, sweet lady, Norma. And so that was sweet, wasn't it? It gave her some comfort to know that there was somebody there for her. It's a very touching story. Uh, also, uh, why call the midwife? Star Miranda quits the show. She's uh, getting ready to play Miss Hannigan. In Annie, we love you, Miss Hannigan, a ghastly character, but uh, played with such relish because you can really get your teeth in and be as revolting as you choose. Also, the simple way to boost heart health. Apparently, uh, scientists believe that a one-off 30-minute run, swim or strenuous walk boosts longevity by warding off cardiovascular disease. So there you go. That's your... That's your mission for today, should you choose to accept it. It's that, uh, the swimming, I'm not really into the swimming thing. I just don't really like that at all. It's not my kind of thing. I don't know why. I suppose it's like sharing your bath with a load of different people, isn't it? That's a, I think some people only go there to wash their feet. And, uh, and then they say, and it's just not my kind of thing. I can't remember the last time I went to a swimming pool. I really can't remember the last time. And yet I've got about two or three round, but one's outdoors, no chance. And, uh, it is. It, it's for the pensioners, the producer says, because they get in for free. And you know they're going there with a flannel and a bar of soap, don't you? You just know that. It's because it's like having a giant bar. That's why you get bubbles. Around. If ever you see pensioners in the water, bubbles around them, apparently washing themselves. Well, that's what they, they tell you, I think, secretly. It could be something else. Uh, the Tory cuts the social care scandal on the front of the mirror this morning. A damning report on May's cruel austerity. The experts with the crisis can only get worse. And they're now they've come up with a figure of... 30,000 deaths in one year. Uh, inside, the um, the return of the mammoth. I'm quite looking forward to this. It's not going to be big. It'll be like an elephant with a number of mammoth traits. So it'll be an elephant with, with hair. And they did have a, a body of a baby woolly mammoth found preserved in ice, because that's the only place you're going to find them now the rest of the time. they. And what happened was... They got caught in permafrost when they were little. I think one was found in a cave. And they couldn't get out... And they got kind of found. That's how they find all these skeletons of animals. They get caught in either mud or something like that. It freezes over and they're stuck and they die there. And then gradually they sort of disappear into the thing. And then we find them hundreds and thousands of years later. Uh, also, vitamin. Mm, which vitamins are worth taking? I don't know. I mean, really, it's, it's a minefield for you out there. Doctors hail, you know, D as the cold buster. So beta carotene is supposed to be... Uh, uh, well, they say here, not worth it. Don't don't worry about it. Vitamin A found in beef, liver, carrots, spinach, butter and eggs. Verdict, not worth it. Uh, vitamin B12, worth it, they say. Uh, vitamin C, 
How many times have you heard somebody say vitamin C is good for you? Not worth it. Not worth it. They say vitamin C for warding off a cold. Apparently you'd need to eat an entire orange grove for it to have any effect on you whatsoever. Uh, calcium, worth it. Uh, vitamin D, worth it. Uh, vitamin E, not worth it. Folic acid, worth it. Iron, not worth it unless prescribed. Omega-3 fats, worth it, because we talked about that the other day on the programme. Multivitamins, vitamins, worth it for some. And zinc, not worth it. OK, any of those there, ones that affect you? Probably quite a few, I should imagine. And you're probably thinking, oh, but I bet you don't stop taking it, because that's what people do nowadays, isn't it? Because somebody says, you'll see an advert on the television, oh, you should be taking this. And then somebody will say, actually, you don't need to be taking it. It's, it's not really worth anything at all. And they go, well, I'm sure I feel better on it. It works as a placebo effect, doesn't it? People people actually believe that it's it's good for you. I used to take a multivit, but to be honest with you, and then you could take vitamins which are good. If you go into some of these health food stores, you'll find no end of vitamins in there which are good for hair growth or nail growth or, you know, somebody said if you eat jelly, raw jelly, it's good for nails because it's got something in it. I can't remember what it is, but it's got something in it which is good for nails. So I thought, oh, maybe I'll start eating jelly. I thought, I can't, I'm diabetic. There's all these things you've got to think about where you don't want to sort of, you don't want to eat the wrong food, do you? Otherwise you get into an awful lot of trouble. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. 12 minutes to seven. Uh, Chris says uh, George Cole even called his autobiography The World is My Lobster. Now, there you go. Love the musical hour. I've never heard of this mystery hour. I know. Some people are very confused by it. Trevor says it's the mystery hour. So I don't know what you're listening to. And Angela says it's the mystery hour. I've not heard James O'Brien singing on it. I think really, though, it's all been summed up, really, by one that says, firstly, thank you for brightening up my day. James O'Brien's Mystery Hour is and has always been on a Thursday. Musical Hours on a Friday. That's, so that's where, obviously, the, uh, the confusion has actually come in. Thank you very much indeed for that. Guess who's going back to Paris? Having sworn blind, she'd never go back there, having lost the jewellery. Uh, Kim Kardashian's going back there because Kanye wants to attend Fashion Week. Presumably there's money involved, I should imagine. Uh, or perhaps they... Because we haven't heard a thing, have we, about finding the jewellery? I was, I was getting a little bit worried that she lost either, depending on who you believe, two million, three million, four million, five million, up to ten million pounds worth of jewellery. But she's going back uh, to Paris because it's Fashion Week and obviously suffering from a dearth. Because she had to go into rehab to get over the shock of being held up by these people who got away with all this jewellery. Fancy taking that with you in the first place. I'd be slightly fearful of it in a place that appeared to have no security whatsoever and a complete dumbo on the actual door which let you into the flat. Southern Rail chaos, according to the Financial Times. Again, drivers have rejected a deal agreed by the union leaders and company bosses, reigniting it. So, in other words, they can't even get the union leaders to be followed now by the drivers. So the, perhaps they don't want to work. Perhaps they don't want it. The union leaders and the company bosses have agreed on this deal. And the drivers have gone, we're not doing it. Why are they bothering? I mean, they might as well just stay out of work forever. Stay out of work. Don't bother earning any money. I mean, southern commuters have endured months of this. I feel so sorry for you. But they really don't care. They really don't care now. They've just decided they're going to do whatever they, uh, they want to uh, whatever do. Uh, Aslev said 54% of its members voted against the proposed resolution. And... Um, uh, the turnout was 72%. 953 drivers were balloted. And so they've sort of said, well, you know, we sort of go by what they're doing. If, if, I'd, I'd sell you property if you live along there because it's, let's just have empty trains and close the line down, make it so much easier. And uh, Andrew says, um, 
It isn't musical hour. LBC, don't play music. The word is doesn't, please, honestly. I want to correct people. Uh, James talks about mysteries and listeners call in with unexplained mysteries. And Patrick said it's mystery hour, Steve. Why would somebody ask how old salt is? Well, that was the old song about salt, wasn't it? Salt, salt, wonderful salt. I mean, surely everybody's heard that one. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.go.uk. Some people so gullible. It's so good, isn't it? So entertaining on a Friday. Uh, The Guardian. From Aretha to Beyonce, the black artist snubbed by the Grammys. It is appalling, really, isn't it? But then are there not... Is there not a black version of the Grammys? Is there music of black... I know we've got the Mobos over here. Is there not a a different thing in America? They just don't seem to... it's, It's Honestly, sometimes they're so backward. Sometimes it's ridiculous. Trump denies presidency in state of chaos. Does seem though it is, doesn't it, really? And uh, mammoths, could they walk the earth again? Well, probably not. They're only going to have one, aren't they, at the end of the day? What are they going to do, walk round by itself? Hoping to sort of bump into somebody else. Uh, the Times. Spending on cigarettes and alcohol falls to a 15-year low. Web giants profit from anti-vaccine frauds video. Uh, and prove, prove we can become friends, US tells Russia. You do get the feeling that every time you watch... Donald Trump, it's a case of, because he's a businessman, he's used to saying, we're doing this. And somebody says, yes, sir, yes, sir, tug of the forelock, and they'll do it. Unfortunately, it's slightly, it's slightly different when you're kind of the president of the country, because they're saying, you can't do that. And he's going, yes, I can. And they're going, no, you can't. And they're literally thwarting it. And it must be terribly frustrating. Frustrating for him, because he's got no idea what he's talking about half the time. And in fact, you know, as as they've said before, we seem to be teetering between here and North Korea and it's not looking very promising. And uh, America tells Russia now prove we can become. I mean, it's it's going to end up as a bit of a disaster, this one, if he doesn't pull his hair out by the roots, if indeed it hasn't already come out. So that's the Times looking at that one this morning. And uh, and the Telegraph, uh, Siena's Night at the Museum is their main story, which is, I'm assuming, Siena Miller on the red carpet at the British Museum for the premiere of The Lost City of Zed. What, they're now using the British Museum as a venue? Good Lord. It changes, doesn't it? Um, The bishop confesses the gay vote chaos. This is an Anglican bishop. He pushed the wrong button. Apparently, it's all all terribly technical now. You push a button, and that determines which way you vote. It's a a handheld device. And uh, uh, one lay member of the Synod also said he'd voted not to take note of the report by accident. Both said they'd been confused. My God, if you get people confused like that. Everybody else managed it. Why are two people confused by it? I don't know. Uh, More on the the mammoths. Also the suspects in the Kim killing. This is Kim Jong Nam. Uh, thought it was a prank. Yeah. Somebody gave you something. I mean, it's going to be a prank. You're going to go and put it over this man's face. Right. What's actually in it? Oh, just put it over his face. It'll be a laugh. We're filming it for a TV show. Honestly, they'll believe anything, these people, won't they? The Tories facing a revolt over the nightmare rise in rates. Well, it's not just a nightmare rise. It'll kill the high street. It'll kill the high street. I mean, how long, you know, it, I mean, how, how much more decimation in the high street do you want? Very shortly, all you'll have in the high street is what we're ending up with in Twickenham. We're ending up with, I mean, we do have other places as well, but it's not huge amounts. We've got charity shops and we've got uh, coffee shops. <laughs> well, the, there isn't anything else. There's a few other shops out there, but gradually they sort of close down. Clothing shops, people say we go to Kingston. They can't afford the prices and the people can't afford to keep the shops running. And now they're going to put the rates up. So everybody's going to suffer. So all the hairdressers who've uh, been existing on, you know, sort of uh, rates at the moment. I mean, luckily, a friend of mine, they own the freehold to the building, so that's saved them rent, 
which is a start. But the uh, the rateable value is a nightmare for a lot of these companies. People are really, you know, working on small margins. Don't think because somebody's got a... I mean, how do the nail bars survive? Where does the money come from to actually set up, you know, um, a, a sort of a business like that with all the chairs and everything else in it? And you look at these people and think, but what, I mean... Have they won the lottery or something? Because it must be really expensive to set up a local business. I would like to imagine how much the new coffee shop has cost to set up, because it's a franchise. Kentucky Fried Chicken is a franchise. That's apparently one of the most expensive. Most of them on the high street now. I mean, the only people who seem to be surviving because they were getting cheap rates are the charity shops, but they're changing that and putting their rates up. So gone are the days of going in there and buying an outfit for a penny or tenpence where they'd be grateful. Oh, no, 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 now they're businesses. Now they're businesses, and they they expect you to pay. I told you, I've seen three, four hundred pound items in the in the shop windows of these charity shops. They used to be for clothes years ago. They had to um, they had to go out there and sort of you know buy cheap clothes. That's what people did. Now you go into a charity shop. They've got their specialist antique section. They've got sort of special books which cost a lot more than people have donated all this stuff to them. I'm thinking of opening my own shop. I'm just saying, listen, I mean, would you like to donate me some stuff? I'm going to, you know, sort of save Twickenham pussies or something like that. So just donate me loads and loads of items and I'll sell them. And I could sell some of my DVDs or something like that and probably have a very nice little living. Because the other ones seem to manage it. I don't see uh, charity shops closing down. Or oh, tell a lie, we did have one closed down, but then I think it moved to somewhere else. Uh, 84850 steve at So that was the, that's the front pages of the papers for this morning. The, uh, the disappointing picture is Liam Neeson reuniting with his film's son, 14 years on. His film's son, who was also in The Nanny McPhee, is now 26. But unfortunately, he's not grown. He's still, <laughs> still the same height. So it's a little bit like looking at um, The Artful Dodger, in the movies, you remember as that cute little kid who's consider yourself and all that kind of stuff. And then you saw him in real life. And, of course, he'd age quite badly. Well, this guy here, who I think is now in Game of Thrones, hence growing his hair. But I'm assuming he'll still be the same actor underneath. Whereas I did, it was my misfortune to catch a bit of Coronation Street last night. I don't know why, because I'm up to date with no storylines at all. And it did, the little bit I watched didn't look particularly pleasant. And there was uh, Helen Flanagan. I've never seen such awful acting. I mean, seriously, it was a case of not acting, but overacting. Obviously, somebody said, big, you know, and all this. And she was shouting. It was dreadful. It was truly dreadful. That's the one who went out in her bra the other day. And then it prompted one of the newspapers to do a whole feature on people who were going out wearing their bras. As I say, if I owned a restaurant and somebody turned up looking like Helen Flanagan, we'd be turning them round and pushing them back out onto the pavement and the gutter, which is where they should have been in the first place. So uh, so that was that. But, I mean, terrible acting. And somebody else had commented on it. There was quite a number of people who had gone on to, uh, to Twitter and social media talking about it. Because I'm expecting high standards, but she hasn't acted for ages and ages, so perhaps she's just a bit rough, as they say. A bit like Danny Dyer, forced out of the show over, we call them troubles now. Troubles is so much easier, isn't it, to say to somebody, as opposed to the fact that they need to uh, to get their acting gear. Because once you've got your acting gear, then it's fine and it's a nice little life. You go in there, people treat you well, you get invited onto TV programmes, you know, people fate you as, as some sort of celebrity. And uh, and then they ruin it by going off the rails. So they basically they've said to him, listen, go sort yourself out and uh, rest up for a few weeks. I hope he saved his money. Because if you don't work, you don't get paid nowadays. So I hope he saved his money. He should have done. He's, he's done various other little bits and pieces. Or will he, will he never go back to it? Will they just sort of write him out of EastEnders after? I mean, I don't know how long you have to give somebody to try and um, 
and try and get back together. I don't know. Somebody says, if anybody deserves a knighthood, it's you. Oh, I wouldn't disagree with you at all. I'd never accept it. I'd never accept it. You don't come into the business to actually get awards. You just come into the business to be, you know, fun. And we've had fun today. So I hope we'll do it again tomorrow morning. Between five and six, it's the best of Steve Allen. And then between six and seven, it's In Conversation. And I'm back with you on Sunday morning as well for the best of the Sunday papers. And then at nine o'clock on Sunday evening for In Conversation as well. You can listen to LBC whenever you want, wherever you are. Download that free LBC app. You must do that today if you're mobile or tablet. Never miss a moment. Leading Britain's conversation at ten, it's James O'Brien. And you know what he's doing today. Before that, though, it's Nick Ferrari at breakfast. If you enjoyed this podcast, listen to Steve Allen live from 4am Monday to Friday and Saturday and Sunday from 5am.